You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 169. Oh, you know what? No, let me redo. I, let me. You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 169 on late night WJZZ, Atlanta's number one hit for all things programming. Because there were so many people that liked the, the late night DJ stuff, right? Or was I supposed to come in all hot and heavy, like, you know, like, Good morning, someone to love us! We're going to be talking about code. Yeah, is that how you, well, I, you guys did so many variations now? I don't know which one it is, but whichever one you prefer, uh, there's all your different intros. So subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, more using your favorite podcast app. Uh, leave us a review or smash that thumbs up. Well, you know, whatever your options are. Uh, <laughs> yeah, see, they, you, this is what happens when I'm not here for an episode. I come back with all this like pent up energy that I wasn't allowed to get out before. <laughs> Right, yeah, I'm, I'm just stunned. I don't even know. I, I mean, I guess you can go. I'll, I'll just read. I'm just going to read this, okay? Visit us at codingblocks.net, and uh, you can find show notes, examples, discussion, and more. And send your feedbacks, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.nte. <laughs> N-E-T, you mean? Oh, yeah, it. sorry, dude. Let me fix that here. Okay, codingblocks.net. You made a verbal typo. You can follow us on Twitter at CodingBlocks <laughs> or head to www.CodingBlocks.net and find all our social links there at the top of the page. Thank you, Ray. Macho yeah. Man. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. When hey, you want to get your code on real good, you want to listen to the Coding Blocks. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what's awesome? I was just looking at the the videos up on YouTube, and somebody was like, "Hey, could you please upload this with the DJ voice?" <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, with that, I am Alan Underwood. Uh, I, I'm just Zach, and I'm crying. Yes. <laughs> uh, this episode is sponsored by Datadog, the cloud-scale monitoring and analytics platform for end-to-end visibility into modern applications. All right. And uh, today we're talking about talking at conferences and meetups. Uh, we got one of those coming up here around the corner, so it's kind of topical and I uh, thought it'd be a little bit of fun. But first, I'm going to drop my wedding ring and then we're going to talk a little bit about <laughs> some news. All right. So, um, as always, we like to thank those who have taken the time to write in and leave us a review and seeing as how outlaws back. I mean, who else can do these? All right. Okay. Okay. Uh, so from iTunes, uh, the whole 1337 and Pesri. Yeah. That's good. Would that be the whole leet? Maybe. I don't know. Well, probably. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. Interesting. I like it though. Yeah. So, uh, and then I thought, oh man, I realized I haven't put a typo here in the show notes. I wanted to give an update on the keyboard. <laughs> oh, that didn't turn out well at all. Uh, yeah. So it's been, what, what, uh, what was it about beginning of August? I think when I finally yeah. got it back from, well, let's see, the warranty was up. So now it couldn't have been <laughs> it was like two years later, but that's fine. Yeah. It's the moon land. The moon lander yeah. is what he's talking about. So, so yeah, for those, those, uh, that haven't been following along, I got the moon lander keyboard. Uh, I think it was around the beginning of August that I s- switched over to it and gently used, <clears throat> gently used. Yeah. Just, just gently used, uh, everything had been worn off of it. All the plastic was really smooth. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
but uh so you know in my first my first take on it was like oh man this is this is difficult <laughs> to get acclimated to right like this takes some getting used to and then it takes a lot of brain power so now uh, because I missed the last episode, it's been what probably four weeks since I talked to yep. you guys about this. Yep. And so uh, four weeks later, yeah, I think when we last spoke, my words per minute were probably in the, um, I think in the fifty-ish range, that if I remember right. right. Yeah. Um. Now I still am, you know, doing a lot of um you know, typing practices. I'm trying to not say, you knows, and now I'm saying more, you knows, because that was like one of the feedbacks we got was about the, you knows. And I can't like, Oh, you know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I still do the, the, the code, the typing exercises, but now I'm at peaking at 75 words per minute. So it's getting better, but still this keyboard just, it still takes a lot of thought process to use. I'm still like, where did I map the single there or the quotes? Where did I map the forward slash? Where did I map the page up or the end key? I'm still getting tripped up on some of this because they're not the printed keys. So the jury's still out for me. And this has now been what this is on this month would, three here. Yeah, yeah, this would we're, we're into month three now and I'm still, not sold, I guess. And and plus I really hate the fact that um with my configuration for it, if I want the function keys, then I have to go into a different layer in order to get to the function keys. And sometimes that's annoying because like if I'm debugging and I want to use the function keys for like step into, step overs, you know, those kind of things. And then maybe I want to like do some typing and like maybe the you know, if you're in Chrome, you might want to do something in the console to like try something. Or maybe if you're in like uh, a writer or a visual studio and you want to go into like the immediate window and, you know, type something to be like, well, what would this do? You know, or, or just, you know, Oh, I found a bug. Let me correct it right there. You know? And so you want to type right there while you're already in that layer. Then I find myself like typing while I'm still in the function layer. And I'll go to like press a key that I've like trained my mind to be like, Oh, that's where I've mapped this key to. And then all of a sudden weird funky things happen because I'm no longer in the, 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 you know, normal typing layer. I'm in the function key layer and (laughs) things get interesting (laughs) if you start typing that. So yeah, I'm, I'm still, I'm still torn. And by the way, like my video gameplay, since I started using this keyboard in August has tanked, like I have stopped, like stopped playing seriously. I I haven't been playing since I got this keyboard because the I think we talked about this before about like shifting your hand over for the WASD keys mm-hmm. that as a result, then, you know, trying to hit what should be the shift key, like the left shift key, which is critical, you know, let's be honest. Uh, I, I it's just too small a hit point in, in to like retrain my mind to be like, oh, let me do that with my thumb. But then what if I want to press the space bar and the shift key at the same time? Now i got to like figure out how to do that with one, you know, my thumb press both buttons. You know, that's weird to, if I were to like remap it to the thumb cluster. So I'm still not convinced, man. Like it, if I would say this, if you're looking for an ergonomic keyboard and you were considering a split keyboard and this was one of the split keyboards you're going to think you were going to consider, then it would really be a matter of like, well, how long have you already been typing? 
right? Like if you are in high school and you're listening to my voice, then, you know, you might be able to acclimate to this keyboard and use it for the rest of your life. And it'll be great. The ortholineal column layout will be just fine for you. Uh, you'll have no problem with it. And, you know, you, you'll get acclimated to typing fast on it and playing games on it. But if you've already been typing on a regular keyboard for decades where, you know, like you're used to, you know, shift keys being like double the size or double or triple the size of a regular key or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Then, um, I don't know that I would recommend this keyboard for you that there are other split keyboards that don't have that problem. But on this keyboard, with the exception of the thumb cluster, all of the keys are your same, your standard size. I don't even know what, you know, your single, your single column row size key, right? Nothing is there. It's not like a normal keyboard where your enter is like double sized or whatnot. Or like, Oh, I think those are called like the piano keys, right? The, 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 the longer keys are like the, I think are called the piano keys. So those are only exist for the thumb cluster on this, on the moon lander. So, you know, you've been warned. Are you going to eBay it? Um, uh, I don't, at the moment I'm still, um, <laughs> taking tests on it. <laughs> I, I'm still trying, you know what I'm, what I'm saying? Like I'm still, I'm still, you know, putting in my, my effort, my due effort to try to, to get acclimated to this keyboard, but it has been an uphill battle. And, you know, I don't know that a lot of people are really going to want to put that kind of focus and time into a keyboard, right? Like most people, you know, I think even Alan, maybe at the start or something like that might've said something about like, I just want to, Oh no, it was Alan when he was talking about like, he didn't bother to do any kind of typing tests or exercises because he just wanted to grab a keyboard and start working. And that was it. Like, you know, why should you have to spend any time to learn the keyboard? Right. We've already been typing for how many years. And so, you know, but I, but I have been putting in the effort to try to get acclimated to this keyboard and using their tool to, to do the training for it. Cause they have, they do have a nice little training tool for it, which I have some pros and I mean, it, it is nice that you can see it. Cause like the b- bottom half of the configurator will show you, or I'm sorry, the, the bottom half of the training tool will show you the keyboard layout and, and it'll be updated in real time. So as you switch to a layer, like the display on the bottom half of that page will, sh- will update to show you, Oh, you're, you know, now on this other layer and here's all the keys for that layer and it'll highlight the keys as you're typing them. So you know what you're typing. Although if you're trying to type for speed, then you kind of really can't focus on that part because you're trying to follow along on the type part that you're typing on You're you're typing. But then that's the part that's also kind of frustrating too, because <clears throat> there's basically like, you know, two colors, red and green, you know, green, you know, type this, or maybe it's blue. I forget now, you know, there's like one color that's the follow color that you're going to like, you know, wherever that, cur- wherever the color is for that cursor. Um, oh, that's what it is. It's blue is where you're currently at. Green is something you already got right. And red is something wrong. You typed wrong. And so you'll see where the cursor is blue and you type in that letter and you get it right. And it turns green and it moves on to the next one and no big deal. But if you get it wrong, the frustrating thing is it'll turn red but then in my mind, sometimes like I've already moved on and I'm like, yeah, I realized I typed it wrong, but I've typed it right since. And so I'm expecting to move on and the cursor will still be like, no, you did. You really didn't. And I'm like, no, I thought, I'm pretty sure I did. 
So Dude, I don't know. That's too much work. It, yeah. it is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's the thing. So, um, you know, t- short answer, short answer, uh, now to Jay-Z's question about the, the eBay. <laughs> you going to eBay it? Well, I'm really hoping to, uh, I talked with Alan cause he has the, um, the, the Kinesis freestyle, um, gaming RGB. RG, yeah. Gaming RGB. And I was going to give that one a try and see if I liked it better. You will. And, and if I do like it better then I'll probably buy one of those instead. I would to say for, it. I would say for 90% of people out there looking for a split ergo keyboard, they would love that Kinesis gaming way more than they would the Moonlander. Yeah. The, the, I, yeah. The Moonlander is an investment. Investment in um, one, it's not cheap. It's like what, right. 370 bucks? 360, yeah. Um, and, and I don't even know, I don't even think that's shipped, right? Was it? I don't think that was the shipped price. I don't remember. Um, I don't remember. And then it's, a, it's an investment in time because you got to really, you know, get ready for it, you know, train yourself on it. Uh, you're probably going to replace the cables. That's my absolute favorite part. <laughs> but then like, if I do decide to keep this keyboard, then I am going to invest in having these blank keys that there, cause, cause like half the keyboard just has a dash on it. The keys only have a dash on it. So, and that, and that's because like, you're going to likely, you know, remap that key to be something that's important to you. But then that's where the, brain power comes in while you're using it because you got to remember what you type, what you mapped that thing to on a particular layer. And so, uh, I will probably go through the expense of actually having those printed to be what I actually mapped it to. If I opt to keep it, you know, and to continue using it. So, well, as a matter of fact, remind me. So this next bit of information that we have here is, It'll already be passed uh, when you hear this episode mm-hmm. by a couple of days. Um, so Atlanta Code Camp is this weekend, October 9th. Um, so Outlaw and, I, and myself will be there. I'll be doing a presentation there. And remind me, and I'll bring that keyboard Saturday morning, and you know you can take it back and actually enjoy typing again. So uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll do that Saturday. But Hey, Alan, uh, could you remember to bring that keyboard on Saturday? Yeah, that's yeah. Saw that coming. Exactly, <laughs> exactly what I was looking for. <laughs> we are a very helpful group here. I don't know if you've yes. gathered that yet. That's what we do. Well, speaking of conferences, uh, that's what we were going to talk about today. And unfortunately, I'm going to have to miss this year. Some stuff came up, so uh, I planned on it. And I planned on doing a talk, and uh, yeah, it's just not in the cards. So uh, hey, see you next year. But uh, yeah, we put together some notes on kind of um, our, our thoughts about about it and. Um, like we didn't really, you know, go through and do a bunch of research. We really kind of fo- wanted to focus on the kind of our, our feelings and th- just thoughts around it, and uh, you know, just kind of talk about it. So here we are, and, and so, so I guess I'll kind of start it out just because like I threw the uh, what little notes we have together, and just kind of wanted to do like a basic like what, why, who, you know, when, where kind of situation with it. So I wanted to say that we're kind of focusing on basically the kinds of technical presentations you would see at conferences or meetups. And we're not really talking about work presentations or like kind of Toastmaster wedding speech that, you know, there, there's a whole other persuasive sales speeches. Like there's whole world of like public speaking and uh, kind of communication and, and stuff that's kind of uh, we're, we're just not even getting into. It. We're just kind of focusing on what is relevant for us and, um, you know, for you as a programmer. And uh, 
I got a couple of questions here to kind of sprinkle without. So one thing I wanted to kind of throw in there first is um, how similar is Twitch or YouTube content to speaking at a, a technical conference? Because I wasn't sure if that counted. So I think it depends on how you treat it, right? So I, I guess bef- before we do that one, though, let's back up. And we're talking specifically about speaking at a conference or a meetup, right? Not yep. Not attending them, but – you know, presenting at them. And I guess my take on that and Jay-Z, you've done this a lot too. When you make a presentation and you make something like there's a lot of time that goes into creating those slides. Right. And then there's a lot of time in trying to, at least in what you've done and what I've seen you do and what I do, there's a lot of time in trying to make a demo that actually works so that you can show things and then show some code. So from that perspective, I think if you are creating presentations like that, that have slides and all that, and then you do that for your YouTube channel, then it can be exactly the same, right? Like it it can be 100% the same. I think the only thing you miss out on there, if you're not doing a live stream, well, which I guess Twitch is, um, is the questions, right? Like typically you'll get some questions sprinkled in throughout while you're doing your presentation or at the end. That's the, that's the only thing that I think might be a little bit different. Um, but otherwise they can be identical in terms of how you, how you approach the subject. Well, I was going to say one, it would depend on the format that you're doing the presentation in. Like, and I, I'm speaking purely from like hypothetical, cause it's not like I, I give presentations at these conferences. Um, so, so I would think that it would be uh, the format that you would give it because if you did a live thing on a Twitch or a YouTube, then you could have immediate feedback like you might in a, a real setting. And in fact, you might get more participation in those types of settings because people might be more inclined to, you know, maybe a little bit of anonymity, you know, because of being on the web that they might feel a little bit more comfortable asking a question or, you know, than they would in person. But also uh, if you didn't do it live, then it would be a totally different experience um, because then you don't have any of that pressure of having to get it right the first time or the demo gods being on your side when you do your presentation. And if you made a mistake, you could go back and edit it out or anything like that. So, you know, definitely the format in which you would give it would be, would, would totally matter as to whether or not you would count it as the same or not in my book. And, and that also includes like, um, now if, if you gave the presentation live and that was recorded and then put on YouTube, obviously that would be the same because it was done live <clears throat> and in person. Cause that's a lot, you know, I see a lot of conferences that I go to where the, the, the speaker is either streamed live or it's recorded and then posted, you know, yeah. in fact, we've referenced, uh, many conferences, uh, you know, videos to conferences for things like that. I, I will say though, one thing that I've noticed over time, I mean, we've had our YouTube channel for a while. Um, typically longer content, which is what you would do at a conference, right. Or a meetup is you're typically going to do a, a 45 minute talk. We'll say right anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes. Those are great for conferences and meetups and whatever. They don't typically do as well on YouTube. I don't know about Twitch. I've never paid much attention to it, but, but I know on YouTube, like I've seen some fantastic talks from conferences and stuff and there'll be, um, 
200 views from, from a big conference. Right. Um, and so we, I think in general, when people are looking at something like on YouTube or whatever, they're not looking for that longer tail content. So, so while I think it could be the same, like what outlaw said, if you record it and then you just kind of stick it up there and you're not doing a bunch of editing and all that, then it could be the same. I think that there's a different engagement level typically at a conference or a meetup. Yeah, definitely. And so I think this is a, some overlap, just like we talked about. The, that's why I thought those are two were kind of interesting. So you hit the the points I was kind of thinking about with that. Um, Do so, you have yeah, a preference yourself on conference versus YouTube versus meetup? Or like, is there anyone that you like to do better? I, I like Twitch because I feel like you could make mistakes and engage and adapt and go in different directions. So it kind of feels more fun to me with, with conferences in particular, there tends to be a lot of like prep and kind of thinking about and trying to imagine the audience and like practicing. And so there's a, there's a lot of this, uh, this time that you kind of spend up front and then you go deliver it and you hope that you, you know, your assumptions were correct and the internet worked and you know, everything else. Uh, and you know, YouTube, you can kind of make mistakes, try it out, but there's also some downsides there too. Like you can kind of get into analysis paralysis with YouTube or just kind of, um, you know, like leave too much to editing or just kind of misfire and you don't get that in- engagement to realize where you uh, didn't address your audience's needs. And so I think I got pros and cons, but I think um, there's something on Twitch to just be able to get up there and go. That was really nice. Hey, so along those lines real quick, cause I looked through the rest of the notes that you had here and I didn't see it. So along those lines of when you're prepping for a talk at a, at a meetup or a conference, like you said, you're, you're trying to think ahead of, of the questions that are going to be asked and all that. I know that you've done, uh, one or two of your talks multiple times, right? Like I remember Jamstack, I, I, you got tired of it, right? Like you, you, it was probably like Eric Clapton singing tears in heaven. He was just like yeah. over it after the thousandth time. Well, that one, that's a bad reference. Well, that, <laughs> that one, that's probably not a good one. That song um, also had like came from a really dark place yeah, in his life, yeah, you know, dark time in his problem. life. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So maybe not the best, maybe not the best example, but so from that though, when you would like the first time that you gave your Jamstack talk, when you got questions from it, did you take that back, put notes in, update your presentation? And then when you went to do it the next time you had those in there as talking points somewhere injected in and, and rinse repeat. Did you do that kind of every time iterate on the presentation? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, took the feedback. Uh, I don't know that it, uh, I'm curious, uh, I'm not curious in the right word. I wonder sometimes how much better it really got though. So the first time I did the talk, I got kind of challenged on a couple of number of points. And it was good because I went back and I kind of edited and made sure to address the things that people had kind of brought up or, you know, the things that they had disagreed with. And next time I gave it, I felt like I did a, a better job of kind of addressing that stuff and delivering a presentation. But I really missed that pushback. Like mm. that to me was like engagement. And so, uh, you know, maybe I just did a better job. Maybe it just, you know, I, you know, it could have been a number of different things. But I kind of wonder if like there wasn't some value in having a, a little bit less of a balanced talk. You know, it's the difference between like, watching watching uh, someone speak to you and watching an infomercial you know i think you can get like a little bit too polished too robotic if you do too good of a job which sounds a little weird but maybe uh, like purposely inject mistakes so that people can like have something to to discuss right so they can feel yeah. like they're engaged and part of the you know they have a vested interest in it too right I think there's probably a way to do that without necessarily having it be like a hard mistake, but you know, like uh, I know Scott Hanselman will have like funny slides or memes or things that just kind of like make you jump a little bit and keep you engaged. And so 
So I don't know, but I, I wish that um, there's some things I liked about the talk that I gave early on where I liked the challenging. I liked the feedback. I liked people coming up with, you know, trying to think like of ways to kind of either disprove or, you know, the, it, like, I, I don't know. There's something about the kind of um, that engagement that I missed after, after the talk got better. That, that totally makes sense. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. I would never really would have thought about it from that perspective, but it does, it does get people more involved. Yeah. It was kind of, it was really like by the time the last time I got to talk, I like had all the ammo, like I was ready for like anything anyone might say, like counter examples and stuff. It was like, Oh no, that's no. (laughs) I mean, it's, you know, what's interesting for me. So Jamstack, that's not something that you could necessarily build on in this way. Um, I know you've done other talks like on Elasticsearch and stuff, which would have probably been more along the lines of what I'm, what I'm about to share is like when I did, um, the Kafka streams stuff that, that I would do with a with Apache Kafka and Kafka streams is every time that I finished giving one of those talks, I think about, oh man, there's something else that I could show that would help people sort of understand more of this. Right. And so after every one of those talks, I would inevitably, it it was like building software, right? Like, it's just like that. You're like, Oh, I can add this and it'll make it better. And if I, and if I put this slide in here, then, then they'll understand this transition better. Right. So I was constantly doing that. Like even to the point where I think the last time I gave that talk, I probably spent another 20 hours before that last talk, just tweaking what I already had, right. Like updating the code and, and adding more slides and all that. And, and at some point you almost get tired of it, but I did want to share this. One thing that um, maybe you'll get out of this, and, and I totally encourage people who want to speak at these things to do it, um, and we'll get into the reasons why here in a minute, it takes a lot of time. One of the ways to minimize the amount of time you actually spend doing these is build a presentation that sort of, I don't want to say evergreen, but but can be more like that. There are speakers who make a career of speaking the same exact talk at conferences every year for a decade. I'm still right? talking because about COBOL. <laughs> just like that. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, if you find something that, that is valuable, like I would say like um, th- there's all kinds of things out there that could do it, right? Like clean code or something like that. If you, if you put together a presentation on that and you went and spoke at conferences, I guarantee you, you could just, you could make your way around the world doing it every year. The same thing more or less every year with just a little bit of updated content. And then that way you're not spending 50 hours every time coming up with fresh new content to go talk at, at the next conference. Well, you know, you, you brought up, uh, Jay-Z's Elasticsearch um, presentation, which would, which, you know, could easily be something like that though. Right. But the irony is he can't find it now. Yeah, I can't, I'm still searching. Uh, they keep changing the, the, uh, major, they, they release so much. It's a major version. It's like, I don't even know if my, uh, old talks would work anymore. I, it, I have to spend some time just to kind of get it working again. Right. Uh, now that we're going into uh, version eight on Elastic. Yeah, you bring up a lot of really good points about kind of t- uh, content and like you know w- what kinds of content to give to, and um, I've got uh, I've got a couple of notes on that um, coming up. I think after the break. Um, but yeah, all really uh, really great valid points, and it kind of brings us to a little bit too. Is um, you have to understand why you are wanting to give a talk in the first place, and I think there's a lot of different reasons. Uh, I did find an article that we'll have linked in the uh, the resources section of the show notes, but um, 
you know, it kind of had like a list of things that you get out of talking. But I think before you even, we even get into there, you kind of have to understand what you want from getting a talk. Uh, because uh, for the most part, there's no money, right? Like conferences, unless you're like a big, huge keynote speaker, like you're not going to, you know, make any money. If you've got a product to sell, you're probably only speaking to like 20 to 30 people, you know, initially, you know, as you level up conferences, that will get bigger. But how many sales are you really going to get out of there? And so, uh, you know, you got to think about what exactly you're doing there and kind of understand that. And those are going to be personal reasons, you know, so we'll, we'll go over the list here of like some ideas, but I thought it'd be interesting to hear like, like, I don't know for you, like Alan, like why do you want to give talks? Um, I think looking at this list here, man, let, let's go through the list and I'll tell you the ones as we, as okay. we hit them, which ones were really important to me. All right. So the first one I got here is can help you build an audience. I, I like that one, right? But, yeah. But I mean, that kind of goes along with what we do here, right? We we yeah, love totally. we love to to help people. We love to but, to talk to people and talk about the things that we do and and all that. But we didn't start this show to build an audience, though. Right? No, no, totally. But I mean, that's part just of the reason you know any any following any audience has just been fortunate. You know? I agreed. Yeah. I mean, we did this 100% organically. I know we've talked about this on the show just a little bit over time, but we didn't ever pay for, for eyeballs on anything, right? Like we didn't ever go out and get ads to get people to come to the podcast. You know, it all happened organically. But when I decided to start doing more speaking at, at conferences and meetups and stuff, it partly was to get more people to know about the podcast, right? Because, you know, I think there the more that we've done this over time and it's not, it's not greedily just to get, you know, sponsorship dollars or anything like that. It's, it's more about the thing of there's a lot of developers who sort of, we've talked about this. They have imposter syndrome where they feel like they're on an Island or, or they're nervous because they're, they're around a bunch of people that they think are smarter than them. Like hey, a lot of Why people are you have this. Me? Man, <laughs> this is so awkward. I feel so uncomfortable, but, but I really, I, I can I think I can speak at least for me and and I think all of us we've gotten a lot out of doing this right like we've met a lot of cool people and you know we joke about it with the reviews and and you know but in all honesty when we get these emails from people sometimes we get emails that aren't even public reviews or whatever where people are like hey you guys helped change our lives you know um you know I was really down in the dumps on what I was doing now I'm enjoying it and you know like all this kind of stuff has been really rewarding and I like I love it that we have built a community of people that general generally and genuinely want to help each other right like even our slack channel is full of people that are just amazing we have had very few problems over the years in that slack channel and that's that's unheard of for a slack group the size of ours and and just seeing that positivity and people trying to help each other and really trying to push people up is just amazing. And so that is definitely one of the things building our community. I want people to know about it because I think people will get something out of it. Yeah. And just like I said, like, you know, the podcast uh, is a big part of why I want to do it too. And the thing is, uh, you know, you got to remember, like you're only doing this to like 20, like at the max, if you're doing, you know, most kind of smaller presentations, like if you're doing like a, um, I forget the one you did Alan in uh, Europe. NDC. Uh, NDC. Oh, yeah. yeah, that was huge, right? Those can be really big. But for the most part, like, 
I say 20, like you might get five, you know, your first couple talks, like it's going to be small. You're not going to build a huge audience based on your speaking. You're going to spend, you know, 10 hours getting ready for your presentation, do it to five people. And maybe you'll, you know, hear from one of those ever again, but it is a good way to build a strong audience. And if you have a a book or podcast or, uh, you know, a company you're starting or some idea that you believe strongly in, it could be a good way to, to find people that are like minded and kind of can partner with you as you grow. Um, but aside from that, I think there are more effective ways to build an audience. Yeah, totally. It, it's not going to make your huge audience, but it will get you a good connection with those in your audience, which is nice, right? It's it's an intimate. It, it's almost like going to a small playing by a band, right? Like they can they can chat with you and have fun as opposed to when they get huge and they're playing in front of you know eighty thousand people. They're, they're not going to do that same interaction. So. It's not that we're ever get that big, but you know, maybe that analogy will play out one day. Yeah. Uh, second one here is established credibility, and I, yep. I think that, you know, for kind of for the podcast that makes sense too if you're trying to make a name for yourself. But I think this helps a lot when you have like a, a certain domain you're going after. Like if every year you went and you did Kafka talks, or you wanted to be the Elasticsearch person, or you're really into static analysis or something, if you can kind of find like. Uh, a more niche topic you know establishing credibility doesn't really work if like every year you do something completely different and to completely different audiences like you really need to have that kind of saturation i was i interpreted that one is like um uh, what do you like mvp like a like a microsoft mvp kind of thing right like if you wanted to establish yourself as like establish credibility to be like this is why i should have this particular mvp like i should be an azure mvp because of X, Y, and Z. And here's, here's the credentials that I have to follow that. Oh, yeah. Here's presentations that I've given to, you know, you know, cause they, they want you to quantify those kind of things, you know, yep. when, when you do that. Right. So that's the way I interpreted that one. Yeah, that's a good so, point. So interesting for you, Jay-Z on a zero to 10 scale, the help you build your audience. Where's that lie for you? Um, before I did it, uh, it would have been like a seven and now it's like a three. For me. Oh, interesting. So the build your audience is really low for you. Yep. I think mine's probably a six, seven, somewhere in that ballpark, just, you know, to engage with people. So on the establish your credibility, where's that one lie for you? So for me personally, it's like a three because I have been doing scattershot. I've every topic is different. It's different audiences every time who like, you know, like I feel like it's just not really helping establish, you know, like the brand if it's different people all the time. So I think it would be better served if I was like trying to be the Google cloud person or, you know, like a Microsoft MVP. if I was really gunning for that hard and it stayed focused and I think it would be more important for me. But uh, what about you? Um, so this one's interesting. I have a bit of a different take. So you're, you're kind of picturing it as like the Julie Lehrman with entity framework, right? Like yeah, that's where you're kind of coming at this from. She's been doing that for years. That's all she talks about. And, so she's she is the guru on it, right? I'd say this one for me, um, established credibility is right there in the middle. It's about a five. And I am also scattershot, but I think for me it's just showing that um I do understand how a lot of technologies work together. So as opposed to being a full on expert at Elasticsearch, like what you were talking about, right? Like if you had just gone after that um gung ho then you would have been the guru on Elasticsearch. But I think for me, it's more about just understanding that there are different technology stacks that solve different problems and seeing that out there. That's kind of where this is. And so that's why it's kind of a five. I don't see it as being 
bad being scattershot when they all sort of tie together for some purpose overall. It it also depends though on where you are like career wise, because um, if you had your own agency, for example, like, and you were doing your own consulting, then you going out there and giving talks about a particular technology or stack or language or whatever, like, you know, the people in that audience might think, Oh, that guy is a gun for hire or a gal that is a gun for hire that I should go after, uh, to, to do my, um, you know, Azure migration or whatever. Like, it's like, you know, what came to mind was, do you remember, um, Azure Steve? I do. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Azure Steve is, uh, a guy that we met that Alan and I and Joe have met at some of these conferences and he's known for giving talks on Azure and has made a name for himself and a good career um, related to all things Azure. And, you know, you'll see him, his talks are going to be Azure based. And he, and I think he had his own consulting agency that he, he started up as a result of, uh, you know, so, so he definitely, I bet if you were to ask him, I mean, it's definitely an opportunity to like build credibility as well as like some advertising and, you know, build a name for yourself. Yeah, that's a good point. You can find him at azuresteve.com. Oh, I guess that is uh, your next one there. Then I kind of stole some of that thunder. <laughs> yeah, all good. Uh, promotional opportunities. Uh, so basically that's um, if you have a service that you're trying to render or something like that, that's a great chance to kind of find people who might actually pay for you. Or like um, here you also find um, a lot of people like um, Guy uh, Royce. We've mentioned his talks several times. His fantastic talks. Uh, now he's working with Redis. And so I, I'm sure he's going to be Atlanta, you know, he, he, I think he lives in Ohio, but he's probably going to be Atlanta code camp this year. And he's probably going to be talking something that has to do with Redis. And it's not going to be like getting started with Redis. It'll be something like Dungeons and Dragons and uh, machine learning. And Redis is going to be in there for sure. But it's right. about kind of, you know, dipping in on the kind of talks he's doing. It's either going to be about trying to kind of expand and bring Redis to, you know, new people, new, uh, people and show them what can, what it can do. Or it can be trying to take people that are maybe already, you know, using Redis and showing them how to kind of expand that. But either way, he's working on behalf of a company there. And it's because there's money to be made there. Um, just either spreading the name or just deepening those relationships. And so that's a really big reason for talking. So for you on the promotional opportunities, how high is this on the scale? Uh, it's a, a zero. We've talked about this before too, where I, if we had something to sell, if we had a coding box book or something, um, you know, so there's like the YouTube channel and stuff like that, but I kind of lump that in more with building an audience. So for me, it's just, you know, it's a one out of 10, I guess. Yeah. Same here. And, and it's, I would love to have something to sell you guys, but <laughs> we've just never taken the time to do it. Um, yeah. So I don't know, maybe, maybe one day we'll, we'll have something, but yeah, promotional is very low on mine. And the next one is networking. And uh, that's more about you know meeting people rather than uh, connecting uh, Ethernet cables or whatever. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of networking that happens at these events. There's like, uh, there tends to be like speaker dinners, like the night before sometimes you get to meet people. A lot of times I'll have like speaker rooms where people can go and kind of practice and make sure their audio visual stuff's going to plug in. They'll have like equipment similar to the rooms. And uh, a lot of, you know, talking and meeting and, and getting to know people happens in these rooms. And so that's a lot of times where you'll see the same speakers. If you get into like the, the circuit for doing uh, like talks in your kind of region in the world, you're going to see a lot of the same faces every year and you're going to get to know the people and you become friendly with them. And so these conferences become a chance for you to kind of get out and see your friends and strengthen those relationships. The next thing you know, and they have a, you know, a need for something or, you know, uh, some sort of monetary or uh, 
you know, some sort of benefit uh, or question or uh, help uh, a person might need, they, they, they think, hey, you know, I knew that person that gave a talk on Redis last year. Let me look him up again. Or, you know, uh, my buddy Alan did a talk on Kafka last year. Let me give him a call. And so it just strengthens in, in those bonds. So where is this on your scale? Uh, I am, you know, I'm not looking for a job or anything. So it's, I'm going to say a five here. So I do like that. I, 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 you know, maybe I'll say a six because I, re- there's some people I just really enjoy talking with every year and I miss that during the kind of these COVID dark years. Um, so I like it, but I don't know that I would call it necessarily beneficial other than to just my personal happiness. Yeah. I, I, I would probably put myself up there. I'm probably about a seven or eight because I really do enjoy it. Like I've met a lot of great people, Jared, um, Atlanta code camp, right? Um, it's how we hooked up with them. Dan, Dan, Addis, those guys, um, I mean, I've met people all over the place because I did this. As a matter of fact, um, I met Jamie, um, GA Progman Taylor, right? Yep. Because I went and spoke at the NDC thing. And so, you know, I got to meet him and do all that. Like, so I, I totally love doing this because it, especially through the podcast, I've gotten to meet people that would have been really hard and difficult to meet over time. And, and I hate to leave out names like Zach Braddy and those guys, right? Like, um, I got to meet a lot of people because I've done this and that's, that's amazing. That's, that's a lot of fun. Yeah. I always think it's funny when I could, I can name people I know like from Florida and you like, you know them. Right. <laughs> so it's like, I, you know, I can go to lunch with Santosh. It's been too long. Santosh, we should do lunch again in the park. <laughs> Socially right. distance. But I mean, you say like, Hey, I ran into Santosh, Santosh, uh, you know, last week or whatever. And, uh, you know who I'm talking about. You've, you know, been at conferences together, whatever, like John from Callaway from, uh, you know, I think it's that crazy guy over in St. Pete or Tampa. Right. But, you know, he but is. you also know him. You right. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Also, you I should mean, check out the six figure developer if you don't already. And, and that's why it's so much fun, right? Like, um, you truly build relationships with these people. And, and even though we haven't seen each other in, you know, two, three years now, uh, you know, uh, Tim Corey just said that he's going to be coming up to Atlantic Code Camp. He, he tweeted us back. And, you know, that's another guy that, you know, we've seen at Code Camps. And it's just, it's a lot of fun to meet people and, and, and get together and talk about it and, you know, just have a good time. Yeah. And these people are doing really cool stuff too. Like uh, some of the people we just mentioned, you know, very casually are just, um, they've got uh, really like, you know, powerful, really cool consulting businesses or YouTube channels or, um, you know, just all sorts of different things. They're just doing really interesting, cool stuff. And, you know, of course, they also know other people in the community. So if you're, uh, you know, it's literally creating a network. So yeah. it kind of connects you to even people that are even further out that are uh, in the same domain as you that you maybe not, uh, you know, have a, a direct connection to, but you can say like, Hey John, can you introduce me to whoever? I've never done that, but like I see it happen in movies, and you know, it seems like it works it's gotta, out. It's got to be real, right? Uh, oh, I got one good one here. Uh, so free ta- travel or conferences. So sometimes conferences will uh, pay for uh, a little bit of travel, or maybe just getting getting to the, the conference for free, uh, which can be really nice. So, how high is this for you? Uh, low. Okay, I'm not so- a big traveler. Oh man, see that's that's crazy talk. So for me, this one's big. I, I've only had it happen to me once, I think. Um, but it was awesome. But I will tell you, so as somebody that's on a number of different mailing lists and stuff, I've gotten emails before where it's like, Hey, we want we want a speaker to speak about a particular technology 
or or maybe not even a particular technology, just come do a tech talk. And I remember one specifically for Russia. And in the email, it said, hey, if you'll come over here and speak at this conference, we'll put you up at the nicest hotel here. We're going to give you a personal tour of the Kremlin. Um, you're going to be able to go do this. You could also fly a companion over with you. So if you'll do all this, we'll pay for all of it if you'll just come talk. So, I mean, like, seriously, that's pretty awesome. If you are into the traveling thing and you like to experience things, I mean, that's a pretty sweet gig to get a personal tour of the Kremlin um, just because you wanted to come talk some tech. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, many absolutely. Jokes. So many jokes. <laughs> I, I'm like, my mind is flooded right now with like, okay, you just have to provide your 401k number. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, I was gonna say like outlaws. Like, did you check that link? Yeah, right? <laughs> it's like don't click that link in the email. You should type that address. Yeah, yeah. that was so good. Something to argue, but but in all seriousness, like they will, um, you know, potentially pay for your travel, like your airline as well as your hotel, and it's it's a good way to be able to go experience things and. And let's be honest, right? You're going to be prepping for the conference and, and doing your presentation and all that kind of stuff, but you're going to have a lot of free time to go explore and do some cool stuff. So, you know, it's a good way to get around and check out some things. Well, I mean, am I wrong though? Because I would imagine that the cost that they're going to pay, they're going to pay for the flight and the hotel necessary for you to be there for the conference. But correct, you know, if you wanted to stay. A couple of days later after that, like they're not covering that. So no, you're going to yeah. foot the bill for those. There's not going to be too much extra time to go right. explore. Well, if I you mean, only stayed within the boundaries of like, this is what they're paying for. So that's the thing. I mean, typically when you're speaking in a conference, you have a time that you're going to be there to talk, right? Technically the rest of the time you don't, you don't have to do much, but you actually, um, you can, like I did, I extended my stay, right? So they still paid for the flight to and from because I was going to have to do that anyways. I paid for my extra nights and then life was good, right? So it's it still benefits you if you want to do it. But yeah, it's uh, it's pretty cool. And oh, by the way, that typically also gives you a ticket to the rest of the conference, right? So if it's a three-day conference, they're going to put you up for three nights even though you're only speaking one day. You know what I'm saying? So. So you still get that extra time and you still get to go check out all the other stuff that's happening. Yeah. yeah that's a good point too. It's kind of an investment. So if you're like, I want to go to uh big conferences, I want to go to build, I want to go to, you know, uh, whatever Google's uh, Google next. Um, those could be really expensive. Like, you know, a thousand dollars or more um, can go way up. You could say, you know what, if I, if I'm speaking there, I'll probably get in for free. You will. Yeah. And that's that's pretty amazing. And uh, it's kind of hard to go from never done a, doing a talk before to one of those. Right. So it's almost like you need to kind of build up to that sort of thing if you're interested in it. But then, yeah, I mean, that's pretty cool to think you can go to the, the biggest, coolest conferences every year for free. Yep. And and here's another tip for people who don't necessarily want to speak. You can also volunteer for some of these things. So if you don't have $2,500 to get a Microsoft bill, but you really want to go and you volunteer to help you know, set up things and, and do things at the show, you can typically get in for free just by, you know, offering your time and, and a little bit of help. So, you know, those, those are opportunities to get out there if you don't have the cash to plunk down. So some quick Googling for two conferences and we'll just see like how close you guys can get to be. What do you think the ticket price to attend Apple's WWDC was for uh was that for 2021 let's say it's 
let's say it's within the recent years and not necessarily put a specific year on it. 5,000. 5, Is it how many days? That's a great question. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Everything I'm seeing doesn't specify if it, if it's so a it's ticket for single day or multiple. But if I recall, I think the WWDC tickets were like, I think it was for the whole thing. Maybe I don't remember. But how, like just, how many is that? Three day, three days it's usually. A five day thing. Well, you double, five, right? yeah. WWDC is you know at least four day, three to four days, something like that, somewhere in that range at least. Gosh, from what I remember, it's 7, been a while. Seven thousand. Wow, you guys, yep. way off. So, uh, at least within the last few years, it was sixteen hundred. Okay, that's not oh really? Terrible. That's not bad at all. Yeah. The heck. Um, per day. Oh wait a minute! Hold on. That's right. this. This quote is saying that's just for the workshop, not for the. Keynote. Okay, that would make sense. Yeah, I thought it was higher. So, and it's Apple. There's the Apple tax, anyways. Yeah. Now, what do you think build cost? I think builds twenty five hundred. I, I want to yeah, say it's right there. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, build came up at twenty four hundred yeah. for the twenty twenty. Yeah, builds really cool. By the way, um, I did. I, you know, a couple of years ago, I went down with John Galloway and we did that, that episode down there because we did, you know, a podcast at the place they let us in, man, that, that was cool stuff. That, that was a really good conference. So, uh, last one on the reasons why is I think the most important one, like everything so far, like if I, if I had, you know, given past presentations, I would have ranked all of those pretty low, but Hmm. this one, a great way to learn something I think would rank the highest it because it's kind of like what Alan was describing at the beginning. I think it was Alan, you were describing it where this is one of those like sink or swim moments, right? So you're, um, what's the, isn't there a, isn't there a type of learning, uh, where, where, uh, oh yeah. Like the learning tree, yeah, like it's called pyramid the, or whatever, um, deep immersion or something like that, or total immersion. Yeah. I think that's what it's called. Like, this is like total immersion type learning if you're going to give a presentation. So you're going to force yourself to try to think through the questions that people might ask, like what Jay-Z was talking about and be prepared for those. And then also be caught off guard and maybe you're ready for it or maybe not, but <laughs> To me, like that would like to learn something would be the the biggest reason why, you know, I would have any interest in doing it. Maybe because like the networking one, I know you're probably shaking your head like, oh my god, you wouldn't cl- rate that one high. That's the reason why you attend the conference, not the reason why you present at it, right? Dude, both, both. Yeah, yeah. The the great way to learn something's pretty high for me. I'd say it's up there around an eight. I mean. Um, you know, maybe I'll even get my presentation done for Saturday, which is three days away and, and I'll have learned something by then. <laughs> so, you know, that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. And, and that was, Hey, when that was pretty high for me. So it's kind of nice. And, and just like you said, it's there's something about, um, having that goal. It's kind of like with the, um, the, uh, certifications too, where like having something to focus on makes you really kind of round out something. And like at the end of it, uh, you come out the other side, like with the ability to really speak to something. And even like years later, someone might ask me something and like, I still have that stuff just on the tip of my tongue and it's organized. And there's a lot to be said for just 
being organized with your thoughts on things too. So you can kind of share that and really teach other people quickly. Oh, especially totally. when you can like, here's a link. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's really nice. Episode. <laughs> yep. I mean, yeah. you know, th- this, this show in some ways is kind of like giving those talk conferences, except we do have the, you know, luxury of not being live and all that. So going back to your YouTube Twitch question, you know, it's not exactly the same, but, uh, from the point of view of forcing you to learn something or, you know, come out, you know, step outside of your wheelhouse and, and read another book that you might not have otherwise thought about or something like that, you know, and then discuss it. Like I have found immense value in doing the show because of that. And some of the books that we have, you know, like designing data intensive applications, one of our favorite, I think, I think collectively that's one of our favorite books that we, that, th- you know, the three of us would agree on that we've done on this show. If left to my own devices, if we weren't doing the show, I don't know that I would have ever thought to pick that book up. I not, not n- no, uh, knock on that book. It, you know, that's not a, a stab at the book in any way, you know, maybe more of a stab at myself that I, it wouldn't have occurred to me to like, Oh yeah, this might be something interesting to read. Um, so, you know, like, trying to put together a presentation of any in any kind of media that you're going to, you know, share with others, whether it be live and in person or, you know, something like this, like it does force you to like learn other things, you know, hardcore. Yeah. Yep. So that one's probably more like a seven or eight to me. That's, that's high up there. So I always try to, that's part of why I'm so scattershot on my topics is because it's really important for me to find something that, I want to really round out my knowledge on. So I kind of pick on something that I want to really to go after. I like this next one. Yeah. So I just added this one. I didn't, I'm sorry. I didn't have it on there. And the idea is that, um, and you know, I'm going to tweak a little bit. Uh, the idea is that by doing these presentations, you can become a better and stronger communicator overall because you're kind of practicing doing these things and, speaking to people and getting your thoughts organized and also just even uh, writing the presentation, everything uh, teaches you about writing and uh, attracting people that, that kind of you attracting your audience and like writing to find that audience and, and uh, the whole thing. Um, so I, I think this is probably like a 10 out of 10 for me. I think this one's pretty high for me too. I, I think uh, you have become a better speaker before and I like communicator as well. I think I really enjoy the I love watching people who are great speakers like uh, Outlaw. You'll remember when we went to that view talk at um oh, Atlanta yeah. JavaScript or whatever. Dude's uh, talking tech, about uh, Connect Tech. Connect Tech, yeah, that's right. And he he was talking about his dishwasher for like the first five minutes and I was like, Where's this going? And he was such a good storyteller. And and he had the audience, right? Like he there are some talks, please, please pay attention to your audience. If you, if you are anybody that's going to be speaking and you look around and everybody's dead, like it, next time you do it, spice it up somehow. This dude had practiced, right? Like he had, he had sharpened that skill of being a great speaker and a great communicator. And, and people were smiling. People were, you know, reacting to things that he said. And it just, when you're talking about tech, it can be real easy to go deep and dark and, and, and boring on some stuff. 
and you want to keep people engaged. You want to keep that hook there so that so that you keep reeling them back in, right? And and that's an art, and that's something that I really like. I, I love working on it. I don't know that I'm good at it, but but I enjoy it. I enjoy trying to be good at it. I'm trying to find his name again. He's a uh, he, he. I remember he was a Microsoft developer talking about Vue. I believe he worked for Microsoft at the time. Oh, sorry. Um, well, yeah, that's what I meant by Microsoft developer. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. And it, he was out of Nashville, I want to say, right? If I remember correctly. But yeah, it, it was so good. So I mean, it make people laugh, you know, um, make people question something that you say, right? Like, like Jay Z, you were talking about the pushback that you were getting. That was probably good because people, you know, they're engaged. They're like, wait a second, he said something that that, that tweaked me in a way that that I can't can't sit still with and that's good to a certain degree right like you don't want to agitate your audience but but having them engaged mentally is is a big thing in these talks yeah one thing i, I tried to do with uh, some of more recent talks is like i kind of try to like come up with one sentence that i want this is what i want everyone to come away from come, come away with and then everything else is to support that one kind of thesis like this is what i want everyone to come out for and i think with the the jamstack talks what I wanted people to come away from that with is saying, maybe I could be doing things better. Mm. And uh, I didn't expect anyone to go rush out and rewrite everything. I also didn't want to find a bunch of people who already were doing that sort of thing. And we're just going to be kind of, kind of bored of the lack of details. I wanted to find the people that weren't doing it yet and try to change their minds. And it was totally fine with me if they listened to what I had to said had to say and say, no, I think you're wrong or it's, this is not going to work for me. And that was totally fine. But I just wanted them to really consider it. Right. And so to me, when the people were challenging it and uh, kind of fighting back on it, that's that's what I wanted. So, yeah. yeah. Convince me. Right. Like, And that's good. Yeah. And I think that's much better than just dismissing out of hand or being like, yeah, yeah, I know I should do this or that or whatever. But I'm tired. Right. So, hey. yeah. So this last one. Yeah. Uh, is, is speaking fun? You? No. (laughs) (laughs) I should say the act of actual speaking. No, I don't, I don't enjoy it. Um, I do enjoy the writing process a little bit because I, I don't know. There's something about the, the kind of challenge of like really honing down your message and just trying to come up with a good talk. And, you know, that to me is kind of fun. But the actual act of speaking, I, I pretty much despise. <laughs> That's hilarious. I love it. I absolutely love it. I, I will say for me, it's like I said, when, when I did um, the Apache Kafka talk the first time, the second time, third time, whatever, I was always trying to hone it, right? Like something that I felt like I wasn't getting across well in the first one, like I'd always go back and be like, how can I make this come across better? Right. And so, so the act of speaking, like I want to make people laugh. It's just, I I like to see people smile. And then I also want to see light bulbs go off. Right. So, so trying to find that balance of what's good to show on a slide versus what's good to say just to get a, a reaction. Right. Um, that I love that it's so much fun to me, and sometimes I've done really well. <laughs> sometimes I'm like, wow, um, either I'm off my game or these people are all asleep. Like, I don't, I don't know what's up, but you know, could be both. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's just thing I enjoy about it. Um, but the day of, I'm always a wreck, and like the, immediately before, I just can't think about anything else. I can't focus. Then I do the talk, and you know, it's kind of like you've I've practiced a bunch of other times. So the talk itself isn't terrible. Um, 
but then afterwards i just feel like a deflated balloon i just need to like go crawl into a bathroom stall and like catch my breath for an hour (laughs) so i think i found it not only i'm trying to see if i found even the actual slides but it was burke holland that sounds right. I'm, yeah. I'm 98, maybe 97% certain. Well, if you're certain, then I'm probably 93% certain That's now. Him. That's totally him. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that was the the guy that gave the, the dishwasher talk. And yeah, for the first you know few minutes of the presentation, you're like, well, am I in the wrong, am I in the wrong room? <laughs> Are we talking about <laughs> dishwasher repair? Yeah. Why? One of my favorite talks of all time. Like, seriously, it was excellent. Yeah. I think just to kind of recap it. So for me, you know, it's a lot about um, just learning to be a better communicator and learn something. And I love the idea that uh, I could be in it, whether it's a job interview or a work presentation or something, but a topic come up. And if I've got a strong point I want to make, I want to be able to deliver that point and get that kind of thesis statement across with the three supporting arguments and have it be organized and really accomplish my objective. And that's kind of what I want out of it. I think it's a great way to get it. Totally. Uh, so who got a little section here on like kind of who speaks at conferences. Uh, and yeah, this is kind of short. There's a really a lot of reasons why, but we've kind of talked about these. So we've talked about the, um, like the sponsors, like people who have like a product or a company. Um, so I just thought it was kind of one thing to call out. So if you're in a, a talk, you can kind of think a little bit about uh, who is giving the talk and think about, what they're trying to get from you. If, if that makes sense. So like next time you're going to talk about like static analysis or something. And, uh, you know, the person is works at a company that has a static analysis tool. You got to kind of keep that in mind that, uh, there's, you know, they're a bias in the presentation, which can be totally fine. Maybe you're interested in that tool, but just something to remember. Uh, the other one is practitioners, uh, which are kind of talks from people actually doing it. And sometimes they'll have a, like a specific result or, um, you know, something that's kind of like a, here's a challenge that I had and here's how we solved it with, uh, you know, animated sprites or, you know, I don't know, something. Um, and so those are kind of like more like my people kind of talks. <laughs> and let me see, there's one more that I forgot to uh, finish writing the notes on. Um, hey, along the lines, while you're doing the notes on this, the practitioner. So I, I do want to call out something. If you're going to a conference, this is more as an attendee to a conference. You guys remember going to ElasticConf, right? Where at the time we were getting into Elasticsearch and we were really trying to find out some answers, like some some really technical questions on how to overcome some hurdles, some shortcomings. So what? Hurdles. Hurdles, yeah. Some hurdles with the technology. And – just know that sometimes the answers may not be with the specific technology that you're looking at. Right. Um, I just, just as an example, one of the things that we kept asking every engineer at the bar, like uh, how can we join some data between two, two indexes? Right. And, and we got all kinds of wacky things and, and nothing made sense. Nothing would have worked. And what I realized later is, when you are at a conference on a specific technology, there is a ton of knowledge on that technology wrapped up in that technology, rightfully so, right? Like the people work on it, they, they're programming it, all that. Um, when you might be able to use something like PrestoDB to do what you're trying to do, 
that is outside that view, right? Um, and it's not going to be something that people there focus on because they're focusing on the challenges of improving that product. So, so sometimes you might want to go outside that realm. So don't necessarily think that you're going to go to a conference on a particular technology and get all the answers you want for your particular use case. You might need to step back and go to a broader type area to, to field those questions or, just, just as a, as a heads up. Or said another way, uh, that technology for that conference that you want to go to, don't think that you can make it your new hammer and everything is a nail and you can use that one tool for everything. Totally. But, but if you're going to do that, just know that you probably won't get those answers or yeah. Right. Or you might get answers you totally don't like. Right. Yeah. The, uh, the last kind of archetype that I found here was, um, well, I think the article called them something different, but, um, idea people. So I think it's like people have a strong belief in something that's controversial and maybe they've got a, you know, an ax to grind or a chip on the shoulder. Maybe that's like a idea that's percolating into a product or something. And if you've ever seen like a um, talk on like unit testing or why you should get into unit testing or a talk on like functional programming or something like, uh, and then the talk has a general a name, something like intro to functional uh, or why you should be unit testing or something. Then that's kind of something there because it's, it's almost like the people giving those talks are like, I wish my coworkers were here or uh, I wish more people were programming like this, or I think this is the right way to go, but there's not enough people that believe it yet. So it's kind of like a persuasive type talk. Uh, and so that's a, you know, some, sometimes a strong motivation for people that uh, will get up and, and go do a talk. Oh, there's another thing that we could put here too, that I didn't even think about. Uh, so at companies the you know, you've got your different levels, right? Like, um, Amazon has their SD one, two, three, et cetera. A lot of times there are requirements for getting to some of those higher tiers. And some of those higher tiers might require that you go speak at conferences because they want to have a presence from their company at an important conference to show that they are leaders or, or thought leaders in the industry. Right? So, you will also find people that maybe, you know, they're an engineer at Amazon or Google or something, and they may go speak at a conference because that is how they're going to make it up to the next tier because to get into some positions at your companies, there are requirements like that. Yeah. So that kind of goes back to that credibility thing. Mm -hmm. And now it's credibility, even within your own organization tied to your job. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I can't really think of any other thing as, you know, we talked about some motivation. So there's like different tie-ins there, but I think those are the, the major categories. I like it. This episode is sponsored by Datadog, the unified monitoring platform for full visibility into all of your serverless functions. Troubleshoot performance issues faster by seamlessly navigating between logs, Lambda metrics, and distributed request traces, all within one unified platform. Datadog provides real-time screen boards and service mapping so you can get complete observability in your service... Ugh serverless environments hey your servers environments too they do a lot of stuff and uh, you ever heard that uh that old adage that what gets measured gets improved uh, that's one of my favorite things about code about uh datadog is that you can see things changing over time and so you know so we've said before it's nice to know it's and it's very important to know whether things are working and what's not working when something's wrong it's also really important to see how things are working over time because sometimes you can identify problems uh, ahead of time and get them fixed before they become a problem that actually takes things down. And uh, that's one of the, the many things that Datadog provides with their observability tools. 
I got a whole new reason for you to fall in love with Datadog. You ready for this yeah. one? And Jay-Z, I know you, I expect you, especially between the three of us are going to love this. Did you know? Okay. First of all, I think we've covered so many times before the ridiculous number of integrations that Datadog has, right? I mean, like last count, it was over 450, uh, over 450 integrations that they had. Do you know what they just recently introduced? What? Netlify. That's right. That's right. While it's not exactly serverless, you could go with your, uh, you know, let them do your hosting for you, for your uh, application, and you can take advantage of Datadog with their latest integration. So how's that for awesome? Which, if you've ever used Netlify, it is a wonderful experience where you can easily have it tied into your GitHub repo and commits happen, builds automatically get deployed out to Netlify, boom, new version's already there, right? Why not have D- Datadog come along for the ride? That's great. So I'll have some uh, some links to the Datadog uh, blogs where they talk about, because of course, of course, they would have a blog about this. Have you ever seen their... If you haven't already seen Datadog's blogs, you really need to go look at it because they have everything commented and documented. Like there's pick a technology, I dare you, and you're going to find something on Datadog about it, I'm sure. So uh, start monitoring today with a free 14-day trial and receive a free Datadog t-shirt after creating one dashboard. Yep. Visit datadoghq.com slash coding blocks to learn more about how Datadog can help you optimize your serverless environment. Again, that's datadoghq.com slash coding blocks. Okay. So we didn't say it beforehand. So, um, and you guys both did it. And I don't know. This is becoming such a thing. I guess I got to just <laughs> embrace it now. So yes. whew, here it goes. Oh God. <clears throat> am I, wait, am I doing the late night DJ? Is that the one or cause you know, Jay-Z tried to flip the script and do the rocking one last time. So I guess I'm going <clears> to, <throat> Hey listener, if you haven't already left us a review, we would greatly appreciate it. We'd be forever in your debt. You can find some helpful links at dub www.codingblocks.net slash Review. Why do you sound like somebody off South Park? South Park? <laughs> it's not like Coach to me. The last thing that came to mind. <laughs> South or Chef, Park? Chef, the Park. chef. Yeah, chef. Uh, chef. Chef off South Park. Uh, <laughs> and I don't even watch South Park. <laughs> <laughs> well, he would probably say something like, now children. <laughs> Gotta go. <laughs> like he, he, he would, because he, he was always talking about the children. Uh, or no, did he call them boys? Did he just say boys or the children? I forget now. It's been too long. But uh, yeah, so, you know, we're heading into my favorite portion. But uh, I got I do have a question for you. What do you call a sad coffee? Decaffeinated? I don't know. Depresso. So, depresso. Oh, gosh. Okay. Yep. There it yeah. is. Mike RG, thank you. Um, hey, and because because we're heading into Halloween, how about this one? 
Why didn't the skeleton cross the road? I don't know. Yeah, I can only think of real reasons. <laughs> well, you're pretty close because he had no guts. Oh, oh, <laughs> that's pretty yep. good. Yeah. Pretty good. That was that was from the dad jokes API, and I was like, oh, that's too good. It's like you know, it fits because it's October. Yeah, I like that. Yep. All right, so uh, I, I I have a gripe session that I want to have, but first I want to we'll go to this question first. So uh, let's go ahead and head into welcome to Michael's favorite portion of the show. Survey says, all right. Uh, so a few episodes back, we asked, what's your IDE of choice? And your our choices were, I prefer a lightweight IDE, such as Visual Studio Code or Atom. Or, I like a fully functional IDE, like Visual Studio or IntelliJ. Or, I like to use editors like Vim and tell others it's an IDE. Or... I like to use editors like Notepad++ or Sublime, bury myself in plugins so that it can act like an IDE. <laughs> now, I know what you're thinking. You're going to be like, well, that was kind of judgmental, Michael. And you're not wrong. <laughs> 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 All right. So this is episode 169. So uh, according to Tetco's trademarked rules of engagement, Alan, you are up first. All right. Uh, you know, I'm I'm torn on this one because I don't even know what mine is now. I think I'm going to go with, I like a fully functional IDE like Visual Studio or IntelliJ. This one's going to be tough, though. I'm going to go with a good 32% on this one. Okay. Well, uh, I'm also going to go with uh, like a fully functional IDE like Visual Studio or IntelliJ. Wait for it. And I'm going to go with whatever, whatever Alan said plus two. You are a dog, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember what you said, but whatever it is, I'm, I'm going to take it. So Alan says, I like a fully functional IDE like Visual Studio or IntelliJ for 30% of the vote. Correct? 32. 32%, 32% of the vote. Okay. Yep. Uh, and then Jay-Z says, oh, I also like a fully functional IDE, but 34% of the vote. Yeah. Plus if you get 33, two. I'm going to scream. Yeah, plus equals two. <laughs> Wouldn't that yep. be awesome? Um, I'm hoping for it, actually. So, <laughs> well, you, you know there has to be a winner and a loser, right? No. So, not, not necessarily. That's it right. You not. could both yeah. be losers. You're right. Yeah. But yes. that would be really rude of me to say to you guys. <laughs> 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 and I'm not going to be that kind of mean. Like, no, I, this is 2021. I've turned over a new leaf of being a nice guy. Uh, you know, that was my October 1st resolution. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, Alan, you lost. Oh, God, it, man. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Jay-Z, Jay-Z came and swiped it out from under you. Yeah, it was 49% of the vote was fully functional wow, IDE. Right. And like Alan, I was torn out because I don't know, man. I mean, I use Visual Studio Code for everything else. You know, for for just yeah. about everything. It's always open, right? Yeah. Yeah. Always. It's my favorite tool to like just browse the code repository. If I want to search the repository, uh, if I just need to make simple edits, if I want to view any file, if I want to like open up a new file and paste something in and format it, you know, because maybe the, the JSON was, uh, you know, minified and I can't read it, 
you know, I want all on one line because it's a thousand characters long and I want it, you know, pretty, you know. But the problem, the problem is when you actually need to get some work done, then full blown <laughs> IDEs are hard to uh, ignore. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're not wrong. It depends on the type of development, though. Totally. Totally. So if you're doing something like Angular, maybe not as bad. If you're doing some, right. some compiled language, do Java. I don't even think I want to know what it would be like to do Java in Visual Studio Code. Imagine <laughs> all the Maven pr- plugins you need just to like compile your Java app with IntelliJ. Now imagine all the Maven plugins you'd have to add on top of Visual Studio Code to make it act like IntelliJ. And yeah. then- <laughs> no, man. No. no. No, I mean, like these days I find myself doing a lot of, um, uh, I'm, I'm torn between, I have three editors always open, uh, IntelliJ for everything that is not C sharp writer for C sharp and then, uh, data grip for everything data related. You have in, you have visual studio code open also. <clears throat> Didn't I say that? Yeah. I thought that was the first one I said. No. What did I say? IntelliJ <coughs> writer. And oh, data I'm grip. sorry. I meant, I meant, I, did I really say IntelliJ? I meant you did. I meant Visual Studio Code for everything that's not C sharp, and then ah. and then Writer for C sharp. There you go. Wow, memory's the first thing to go. That's our. <laughs> it's this all is done. starting early. Oh no, Down, help me. Downhill uh, from here, folks. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, you know, if you're you know Visual Studio Code for Python development is just a fine experience. Python is way better. Yeah, but probably, yes. probably. Yeah, because you know all of the IDE based, um, ID idea IDEs are pretty awesome at what they do. Yep. So totally. Yeah. Um. All right. So, would you rather have a gripe or a joke? Which one yes. do you want? I got. I got. I got both. I got. I got. I got multiples of each. So. Let's do the gripe and then we'll back into a joke and maybe that'll lift yeah, it back yeah, up. Good. Right. Yeah. Okay. So obviously we, we've established now that I wasn't able to be part of the last episode. Right. Correct. But really, really like, first of all, there's one point of the episode where you guys were talking about uh, a song <laughs> and, uh, because because of <laughs> Joe Joe uh, put together like the playlist right of all the songs based off of the emo thing, and you guys tried to go with this really like see if this works. Really, that's what you can you confused that song for this. Don't you Oh yeah, that's not Rick Astley, is it? How do you get those two songs mixed up, sir? <laughs> Did I put the wrong one on the playlist? Well, I, I don't know about in the playlist, but it was just it just like as I was listening to the episode, you know, because hey, I'm a longtime listener too, first time caller. Uh, <laughs> but so I'm listening to you guys, and you know we get emails from listeners all the time where they're like, "Oh, I'm screaming at the car because you got something wrong." Well, that was me. I'm screaming at you two guys because I'm like, "That's not that's simple minds. That's not how do you get that song? No!" <laughs> like I was going nuts. So so yeah, but you know, Dude, as first it was worth it right chance. there. I, 
I'm glad we talked about that beforehand, Jay Z. That that was worth it. Oh, yeah, yeah okay. You set me up. <laughs> but, but you know, though, if you were going to rickroll somebody, there's a much better version of that song that I don't know if you've ever heard. Oh. Through. This is from a live performance. It's coming through. I'll, I'll have a link to it in the in the uh, show notes. But that's Foo Fighters with uh, Rick Astley playing. So he he Rick rolled the audience, <laughs> and they they performed a Foo Fighters version of the song, and it is way better. <laughs> That's All awesome. Right. Um, yeah. So, okay. So then let's do a joke then. Uh, why did they, why did they make cookies? What did they make cookies out of in middle earth? I don't know. Jeez, I can't think of anything. So on something. I don't. So easy. They made it out of Frodo. Oh gosh! Okay. <laughs> Another one from Mike RG. Thank you, Mike RG. So uh, then there was this other thing too. Like we mentioned the um, review from uh, the whole thirteen thirty seven or leet. You know, we're yes. we're still up for debate on that one. And and he he questioned like, hey, you know, because we've been around so long, it's time to name the listeners. And you know, like uh, Justin Bieber has the Beliebers. And like, mm-hmm. what, what do we call the listeners? So I don't know about you guys. And I don't know if we've ever said, I think maybe this has been mentioned before in a past episode, <clears throat> but like, I've always thought that the term, uh, like the way I've always thought of it, it's like, Oh, we're all just a bunch of blockheads. Like that's, mm-hmm. you know, cause the coding blocks, right. It fits. And so like, I've always thought of the little, um, like the logo with a little guy chipping away. I think like I always re- like that in my mind, I always named him blockhead and all, all the files that I have of just him. I was like blockhead. So, I, so blockheads is what I always thought of as like, you know, what we should all call it. But I wasn't sure like how well, like maybe that, maybe the listeners would think that would be too negative to like, you know, why are you referring to us as a blockhead? So that's why I, I don't know that I ever made a big deal about it before, but I might have made it like a subtle reference to it in the past. Hmm. Yeah, we'll have to think about this one because I saw the Belieber thing, and, I, and and of course my head started going. Oh, I don't know what would it be, and and I did think immediately about you, outlaw, because you always have called everybody. You know, hey, we're blockheads. So yeah, I don't know. I have to think on it. I kind of like it. I don't think it's that that negative. Um, doesn't have a big negative connotation to me, but maybe it is. I don't know. Yeah, kind of yeah. kind of like it. Yeah, I kind of liked it. All right, so uh, for this episode survey, we ask, you know, because we're talking about presentations and all, so how likely are you to give a presentation, especially after listening to this episode? And your choices are extremely likely to attend one. Oh, you mean speak at one? Oh, no, definitely not. (laughs) Or extremely likely. To think about giving a presentation, maybe a little daydream about how awesome I'd be at it. Or extremely likely to say that I'll give a presentation, but go through with it. Ain't nobody got time for that. Or extremely likely to actually give a presentation. I love the opportunity to learn and share with others. 
So yeah, there you go. I'm excited to see the results of this one. Mm-hmm. All right. So now on to my favorite section of this uh, little, little episode here. Uh, how? And uh, so for this uh, particular how, I, I meant like how do you actually get the talk together? Um, we'll have another section coming up uh, next on how to actually give that talk and where to give the talks. But for now, just how. And I got a couple questions here. So uh, how do you pick a talk to do? All right. So for me, it's very much either something I really want to learn. It's usually not something I already know because I just, I'm bored with it. I don't want to, I don't want to do anything else on it. You know, it's usually either something I want to learn because I just have an interest in it or because I'm trying to solve a problem that I've run into and, and I want to know the pieces involved. And so that's kind of my way of forcing myself to learn about it. Yeah, I think for me, uh, I really like to find something that's a combination of like something I want to learn and also something that I can try to uh, almost like a persuasive style essay on it. Like I just really like the kind of style of talk where I want to kind of take something and try to, uh, you know, kind of convince, which is, I don't know, maybe (laughs) maybe not the kind of talk that anyone would want to see, but I don't know. For some reason, I always like to kind of gravitate towards that. So, um, like the the most talk, most recent talk I did was uh, at uh, San Diego Elasticsearch. Uh, thanks, Jay, for hooking me up there. Uh, it was virtual, but uh, I really wanted to show that you could do really cool things with Elasticsearch and Kubernetes uh, locally with a tool called Scaff- Scaffold. So, for me, it was about showing you what you can do, and but really it was about persuading you that this is a viable, cool option that you could really consider and might make your life better. And so um, hopefully it wasn't pushy or anything, but I just like having, having something I can kind of bring to you and show you. So I'm not, I'm not really interested in kind of deep diving or kind of like sharing, you know, things I've learned or anything like, like uh, some types of talks, like uh, you'll see like how we improve build times by 300%. And those are really great. And I, I watch those kind of talks, but, that's just not what I want to do. Right. Hey, uh, this reminded me too. I have a tip. So I learned this when I did get to go do the NDC thing is if you are giving talks on things and your pool of competition for those talks come from big players, it's going to be hard to win it. So by that, what I mean is if you're trying to give a talk on .NET anything .NET related. Um, chances are you're not going to get selected over somebody like Damian Edwards or, you know, somebody that's flying out from Microsoft who is on the product development team that can talk to it probably way better than just about anybody else. Right. So if you are picking things like that, it's going to be hard for you to get accepted at big conferences because people from Microsoft, Google, those, those people are going to be at that conference giving those talks. So, if you can find something a little bit more niche, then you'll probably have a better chance at getting accepted to those conferences, right? So that's also another criteria that I do is I look around and I'm like, well, you know, I know everybody's talking about Docker. I know everybody's talking about .NET and everybody's talking about Vue and, and React. Like, I'm not going to be able to compete with people that have been talking about this stuff for two or three years. Um, so I try and find a topic that will allow me to come in and give and also give people a break from the typical stuff that they'll be attending. Right. Like, um, 
sort of break it up a little bit. Yeah, it, I do want to like make one correction though. It's it's not necessarily that they're better at or or know more about that particular topic. It's just that their name will likely be a bigger draw. And so the yeah. conference organizers will totally. want to maximize attendance. Yep. And so if there's a better name, you know, a Scott Hanselman or, uh, you know, kind of name, then they might be more likely to pick that presenter for the recon- name recognition. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's a, that's a really good uh, point. The people selecting these talks, uh, a lot of times they don't have a whole lot of time. They maybe have 700 submissions for a big conference and they've got to, to select a hundred. They may ask you to submit, uh, you know, vid- any videos you may have of prior talks or whatever talks. They are not watching 700 people's presentations for an hour and then all debating it and talking about it. No. So that's like used for kind of tiebreaker situations. So it's like, if they're looking at you and you've got an intro to Docker talk, and they've also got an SRE from Docker wanting to do an intro to Docker talk or, you know, something like that. Like, you know, who are they going to go with? Right. Right. Uh, especially if that person's been around in the scene longer. So yeah, absolutely. You got to kind of know your audience and, and yeah, go niche for larger conferences. If you don't have like that kind of backing or that talking resume that might uh, kind of help you out there. Yep. And we kind of hinted before uh, sometimes conferences will encourage like tracks or certain, um, kind of topics if they're like either lacking or maybe sometimes they're just like trying to get um, a more diverse set of speakers. So like an example, like might be if you're doing a a conference this year and this is your first time this organization is doing a conference, they may want to get people from all over the world to speak there. And so they might encourage that or they might um, be having a hard time getting enough talks on a certain subject that they want to emphasize. And so they might put it out there and say, Hey, we are looking for more Kubernetes talks or whatever. So just be on the lookout for that. Uh, and then this one, um, I, I thought too is kind of cool. It's like, think about the talks that have stuck with you. Like you, y'all mentioned the, the talk about the, about the, uh, dishwasher. Uh, you know, that's something that obviously stuck with you. So what was that you liked about that talk? Well, how can you, can you, uh, incorporate that into your talk? And what does that have to do with topic selection? Um, so that's just kind of something that I had a little note there to keep in mind. Yeah, you know what's funny about that is I actually, after I, or before I went and did the NDC talk, I actually went out and bought a talk on presenting, and they walked through a bunch of points on on how to do it, right? Like, don't put all the information in front of people immediately, right? Like, you always want to kind of be edging into it, right? Like, it's almost like a movie. You, you build up to a climax so that so that there's this point of tension that you get to. And so that's how you want to approach it. Right. And, and that's what I like about talks that are really good is they do a good job of, of, of just edging you along. Like you're constantly like, well, where's this going? Where are they taking it? Right. And that's, that's the kind of talk that I want to be at. And it's gotta be, it can't be dry. Do not talk monotone the entire time for the love of all things in this world please inject a little bit of personality into a talk. I think it, um, I will say that too, like uh, a well-polished talk, you know, if you, if you have the luxury of having already given talks and you have one that's well-polished, those do or can go over well. Cause I mean, we've talked about one of our favorites, which was uh, JavaScript is everywhere. What I believe was the name of the title. Oh, so good. But the talk, you could tell that the the presenter he had, uh, you know, given this talk many times and had probably, you know, uh, 
over years, like would, would add to it because during the talk, he would show examples of the same application, the same JavaScript application written on literally every platform you could imagine. Uh, you know, it, it taking it from like, Oh, here it is in a web page. Okay. That's cool. Let's put it on a watch. Oh, that's cool. Let's put it on a, uh, Google home. Oh, that's cool. Let's put it on Alexa. Oh, that's cool. Let's put it on Siri. Oh, that's cool. Like, uh, I don't even remember like all the crazy things that he did with it. He had like here, let's put it on a raspberry Pi and let's make it to where, uh, instead of, you know, a visual representation of the data, it's now like, you know, lights light up on the pie or, you know, things spin or whatever, you know, you're interacting with the real world. <clears throat> you know, th- that was a, that's an example of a presentation that he bent, he benefited from, I'm assuming that he, he'd given that presentation before and benefited from the ability to like, as something new would come out, he's like, Oh, let me, you know, it, it takes me no effort to uh, make that thing work on a Google home, you know, this brand new Google home device that came out. Oh, now there's a, an Apple watch. Oh, it'd take me no effort to put it on an Apple watch. Let me do that. And so, um, you know, as new devices would come out, he could easily iterate on that same presentation and put the application on a new device and, you know, just keep making the con that kept making the talk relevant by doing mm-hmm. that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we kind of kind of shown this point already, but um, basically, do you aim for something you know or that you want to know? And I think it kind of speaks to your motivations. Like with some of the people that we mentioned that do the same talk every year, like they definitely have different motivations than someone who's picking something that they want to learn. Um, yeah, let me hit that one. So, how do you write your talks, Alan? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? I mean, in, in all honesty, like I, I think you and I are polar opposites on this, right? Like my, the way that I do it is I sort of create the demo that I want to show. The thing that I want people to look at and go, oh, wow, that's cool. And then I try and back into it from the how are most people doing this right now? And, and it's like you said earlier, I want to almost – I want to convince people that they need to think about or try this new thing. Right. And so I back out from the demo that I create and start with where I think most people are. And then I try and build that story on, on what this is going to buy you and you, why you want to do it. And and so that's how I write it. It's not like I sit down with notes first. It's always trying to build the story from what I'm trying to show. Yeah, and uh, for me, just like I said, total opposite. Like, I tend to write things very much like I try to keep a conversational tone, but I very much like write them out slide by slide. And it's such a bad idea. And there's a reason why everyone tells you not to do that. And, uh, you know, I've, it's just how I think. I can't help it. Like, I think about it like, a, you know, from a writing perspective first. And I'm very careful with my sentences and I make sure to, to repeat things the right number of times as I go through. But the problem is you can't easily memorize like an hour long presentation, 40 minute long presentation. So what ends up happening is like you do the talks live in front of people and people have questions or you can tell something's not getting across or there's something you think is boring. So you want to skip ahead. And so you start modifying the script that you've got memorized. And next thing you know, you get to the next slide and, oh, you've already mentioned some of those things and you decided you want to skip some of those, those things. And so it starts falling apart uh, because you've, you know, you've changed the script and now things don't fit together easily. And so just like Alan said, like, 
the way everyone will tell you how to do it is to basically come up with the story first and then just go give the story. And I, you know what's interesting about that? Also, to to speak back to that, I typically try not to put a ton of words on a mind. I will have bullet points, right, so that people can – because people like to visually tie what they're seeing to what they're hearing. That's good. But I try and really draw the story with pictures. Like I really try to leverage PowerPoint or um, Keynote or whatever I'm doing the presentation in. I try to utilize those tools to show transitions and, and, and animations that kind of take people's eyes from A to B where I want it to be and see how it's getting there. Like I really try and leverage the, the visual tools more than I do the words. Yeah, that's, that's good. I just assumed like, uh, you know, not having given, you know, uh, the, I keep saying that, you know, these, uh, <laughs> um, the author of that review knows what I'm trying to do. Uh, <laughs> I, I just assumed like having not given these presentations at uh, big conferences that uh, I would craft these around like, where do I fit in this joke and how can I fit in this funny meme? And like, I found this funny picture on the internet. Like, how does I make that work in here? That's part of it. Believe it or not for me, like seriously, if I find something where I can put in a funny picture, I have to do it. Like, I, I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever done a presentation at work in front of a crowd, in front of a group, a conference, whatever. I don't think I've ever done one where I didn't have a picture in there that was just made to make people laugh or smile or something. Right. Like that's, I don't know. It's always yeah. my thing. How can I squeeze something in here? That's what I'm doing wrong. Uh, speaking of doing wrong, uh, how do you practice for a talk? This one, I think I probably do very similar to you. Um, I, I will, I will actually run through it just like I plan on doing in front of the group, right? Like yeah. I will start with the presentation. Now what I'm, I'll start a timer and I even get out the clicker, right? Like if, if I'm, if I'm planning on using a clicker or a pointer that I'm going to be using up on the screen, I'll get that out. I'll use it so that I'm comfortable with where the buttons are. And so I don't screw up and hit the wrong thing. I'll walk through it. I'll, I'll time it. And then I'll even switch over and be like, all right, well, here, let me go to the demo. But also important for me, because this bit me the very first time I spoke at like a code camp specifically, is when you hook up your laptop to the screen you have two options. If there's only, if there's not a screen in front of you along with your laptop, then you either have to mirror your entire screen and that screen's behind you. Mm -hmm. Or if you don't want to mirror it and you want to keep like certain things staged on your computer, but the display stuff on the presentation behind you, it's impossible. Like you're constantly turning around to see what's on that screen and then turn back around and look at your computer and like, oh, sorry, guys, I can't I can't type like yeah. this. And it's really cumbersome and awkward and it detracts from the presentation. So um, I, we've <laughs> talked about it before and it was on one of our, you know, shopping sprees. Um, I ended up getting a 15 inch, you know, separate monitor, just a screen that you can plug in with a single cable to your laptop so that if I ever get in a situation where they don't have a screen for me, as a second screen in front of me, I can plug that thing in and have a staging monitor and then the monitor that I mirror up to the screen so that I can see what everybody else has seen and so that I can have my staging area. That's super important. Get the setup exactly like what you think it'll be when you get there for worst case scenario so that you can do what you need to do. 
as someone who's attended a lot of meetups and a lot of uh, conferences, I would say the majority of the time, the speaker does not have the luxury of having a a second monitor provided for them. That has been super rare. And one of the only facilities that comes to mind where that is a thing <clears throat> is uh, here locally in our area, Microsoft often, uh, or at least pre pre pandemic, uh, provided their um, office facilities or, or specifically the conference rooms in, in their offices here in the Atlanta area for um, the Microsoft related meetups in the area. And there, if you were speaking there, because it was like a, a permanent conference room at a very tech friendly, you know, company, right. They had it set up for, for the speakers. So it was in a very friendly format like that where, you know, Hey, here's two or three extra monitors at your disposal and we'll project it onto these four monitors for you. You know, that that's an extreme though, right? Like that conferences there at the Microsoft facility were always nice because you knew that you were already walking into a conference room permanently and professionally set up for that purpose. Yep. Uh, the other thing, Jay-Z, too, to cap that off is I'll also stand up and try and do the same motions. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. if I'm by a podium, you know, I don't want to pace back and forth across the stage. You do your Vanna Whites, people, like over here is where yeah, we're going to show ding. this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you did the ding. <laughs> but I don't want to put people to sleep, right? Like pacing does that, but... There is a thing to where when you're making a point like and this this goes to the being a better speaker or whatever, like the, that thing that I listen to, like step towards the audience, modulate your voice. Right. Like when you want people to sort of lean in and talk a little bit softer. Right. Like just things like that. I will practice in my room before I go several times just to try and make sure I'm not going too long. I'm not going too short. You know, I'm not walking back and forth and wearing a, a hole in the floor, right? So I do all of that. So, yeah, that's hard, though. You were talking about an hour-long presentation. You do it several times. That's several hours. Oh, dude, it, it eats up so much time prepping for one of these things. Now, well, what about you? Oh, oops, sorry. Well, I was going to ask, like, related to the prep, because like, I, while I haven't given talks at conferences, I've given plenty of talks within the companies that I've worked in over the years, um, sharing with, with the team, which it's not the same, but you know, there's some similar similarities there. And I have found that like, if I do practice a lot, then I tend to, it's almost like I go back to what Jay Z was talking about before. Where like I, I'll tend to like memorize it. And then by the time I do get up to get it for real, because I've ran through it in my head so many times and I have it so rehearsed, then I can, like uh, speed through it faster than what I intended to. And then if I rehearse it less, I, it comes out better. Does that make sense? Like if I, yeah. if I at least have an idea of what I want to talk about, but shoot from the hip a little bit, you know, then it comes off, uh, you know, somewhat better. But, but again, I'm not doing it. You know, I, I'm speaking maybe to a crowd of 20, not a crowd of, you know, I mean, in fairness, when when you have spoken or yeah, when you've spoken at some of those things, like you do a really good job of it. But I think, I think it, it goes back to the less words on the slides is better, 
right? Have the notes at the bottom of it so that if people get the slide deck later, then they can have all those notes and those things that you were talking about. But having less um, sentences, fewer sentences on the slides themselves makes it to where if you do get ahead of yourself, it's not that obvious, right? Like it, it doesn't, well, it doesn't jump out at people. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember like even in um, college where we, we had to do presentations and, and, uh, one of the things that was talked that was talked about there was that if you did put up a lot of words on the screen, as you're saying, then you would lose your audience because the audience would tend to read whatever you put right. up there. Right. And it, you know, if you did want to put up a lot of words, then you needed to be careful about you know one bullet at a time kind of situation. Where I hate doing those animations; they're a pain. Oh, it yeah. take a long time. Yeah, to to put in like okay now and then oh man I got to go back a page let me click, and then you want to go back forward and you got like eighteen clicks before you get through all the bullet points, but yep. Um, so so there is a there is totally that downside of like the audience will read ahead, but I I meant regardless of whether or not uh I did that if I I've just found that if I if I practiced it too much that I would you know race through it even even sl- you know flipping through the slides so you know you better be quick if you're going to listen yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i think there's something to be said for forever practicing for sure my um i and first of all i do things kind of wrong like where i tend to the first couple times i practice i tend to do the script and then i know that i shouldn't use the script so eventually i kind of toss it and just you know practice without um but my solution for trying to uh not over practice is not practicing a couple days before mm. if i can so like, i practice the heck out of it like the weekend before and then I stop. And so that usually kind of helps me. That's good, um, yeah. So it's like I've locked into muscle memory, but I'm also not just sick of doing it, you know? So yeah. I, I think one of the worst, like the worst talks I've given are the ones where I've like practiced it the night before and the morning before. And then I'm just like, oh, let's get this over with. <laughs> that's basically the point. Well, one other thing I do that's kind of interesting is uh, I do tend to um, practice the first couple slides more than I do the end. Uh, which at first uh, I found myself kind of doing that naturally and it seemed like a bad idea because I would keep starting over. But what I've kind of found is like the first couple slides are kind of the, the most important for kind of setting the pace. And once you get past like slide two or three, like some of the nerves and the butterflies have kind of calmed down and you just kind of fall into your rhythm. So there's something about like having those first couple strong slides being like really strong and locked in and the rest just kind of happens. Yeah, I like that. Um, I will say you can also... And I I debate how effective this is because I have a tendency not to look at my screens a ton when I'm in the middle of a presentation. But if you're doing that dual screen setup, like what I mentioned, to where one screen's mirroring what's on the presentation and the other screen is your presenter's screen so that you can do it, you can kind of see what's coming next in Keynote or in, in PowerPoint or whatever. You can see what's coming up next so you can you can remind yourself as you go. Um that tool's there. I'm not great at using it, but I do try and let it remind me that, hey, don't jump too far ahead because this is what's coming up next. Yeah, I like that. Um, oh, another question here I had was, uh, if there's any differences you feel for like uh, digital or physical presentations? Yeah, totally. I feel like a caged animal in a digital presentation. So like you're talking about like doing a virtual type thing. Yeah. Like, I like the the motion of walking around and and you know sort of stepping away from the podium and 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 making a point and you can't do that when you're sitting still. Yeah, 
is the whole like is this thing on thing like yeah <laughs> somebody like did i unplug the power you know no because like there's no noise you know you kind of have to look for chat or something which is, can also be really difficult especially if you're scaring your sh- sharing your screen it's not easy to see if there's like ch- questions or whatever yep i i mean i will say though the one time that we did the uh the video game uh thing that we did last year where we did it on uh what's the name of the January, 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 but w- w- Twitch, we did it on Twitch who just got hacked. Um, like that was a really cool experience. I'd never done it before. And that was, that was fun, right? Like the interaction and all that kind of stuff was neat, but, um, I still, I still do like the in-person better. It, it feels more weirdly, oddly relaxed. Yeah. You, well, that's because like- that's because I would I would argue that that's because just uh, that's the way humans are wired to communicate. Period. So, Probably. I mean, there have been studies that have said that living in this Zoom kind of world is is more stressful because you don't. Uh, even though I can see you, like we don't have the same kind of nonverbal communications back and forth in our in our subconscious isn't interpreting it in the same way. So there's it is from some studies supposed to be more stressful. And so totally being in person, I completely understand why you would say that. Yeah. What about you, Jay-Z digital versus physical? Yeah, I definitely prefer physical. Um, but uh, you know, there's advantages to, to, uh, the digital. And just like you said, like Twitch is like a whole nother animal where I love to just be able to be like, you know, today I'm going to do this and we'll just research it live and whatever. And if people are bored, then they could just check out and leave. And so there's a a lot of, a lot of pressure and prep, so I definitely prefer like uh you know twitching things. Um, it's even you know even over making YouTube videos just because I tend to spend so much time on them. Yep. Um, which is actually my last question here is like how long does it take to do a presentation? Oh my God! What about you? Right, let me think on mine. I mean, it's probably like twenty hours. I figure um, the practicing is several. Um, I rewrite a lot, so I I probably go nuts and do too much. You know, I definitely do too much. And the the presentations don't benefit from that time. So I think if I spent uh, ten hours on a talk or twenty hours on a talk, the quality of the talk would not change. Man, it's so hard to to really quantify. I mean, it depends on what I'm doing. Like this Flink one that I'm working on, I can tell you that. I mean, my life's been crazy here the past few weeks, but I've probably spent. 10 hours just trying to get something to work the way that I wanted it to work. Right. And that that's just getting a demo. I haven't even started on the slides yet. Like I'm not even kidding you. I've got today's Wednesday. I have Thursday and Friday night left to, to get things done. I haven't even put together a presentation yet. So, I mean, I've got, I've got 10 to 15 hours and haven't even started on that. I'll probably have 10 hours and slides and transitions and all that kind of garbage. And it seems like that's crazy amount of time, but by the time you animate things and get things the way that you want, like you spend a lot of time doing those little stupid animations. So I I'd say 25, 30 hours for a 45 minute talk is not uncommon. And that's why I also say if you can recycle and reuse and build on, right? Because if you build onto it, then you're going to spend another couple hours on top of it instead of another 25, 30 hours for brand new content. Yeah. 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 Your, your estimate's probably better than mine too. It, it always seems like a, a lot more, but when I say 20 hours, it doesn't seem terrible. And then you factor in actual conference and traveling and stuff too. It's and practicing, right? Like you said, yeah. you spend two, three hours practicing and 
you know, it, it adds up. I mean, it's it's usually over a couple, two, three weeks that you're doing that, but it adds up. Now, I know that, I know that we're talking about like conferences and you know meetup type presentations, but I can think of like internal presentation that the three of us each gave that was for an audience of hundreds of developers. And I know that, um, you know, Alan went, you, you, you went on a separate day for your part of it. And Jay Z and I went on a subsequent day and Jay Z, I would say that you and I spent uh, at least a week, uh, in preparation for, in, in present and putting together that thing. And and so, uh, maybe this, depending on what the stakes are, you know, that might be part of the, um, you know, how how much effort you're going to put into it as well. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. And sometimes you have to phrase things kind of like very specifically or like you want to be really precise with your language, which kind of makes things tougher because you like you really don't want to have to remember to say a sentence perfectly. So like you want to figure out what those things are that are really important distinctions and figure out how to kind of honor them in their own slides and stuff. So a lot of times it's like refactoring your presentation (laughs) as you discover kind of you know, more about your presentation that you want to give. Yeah. Yeah, give up. Like you said, I mean, even for an internal group of people, you guys spent, you know, probably 20 hours each trying to do that thing. And it's, I mean, it's, I meant, I meant uh, an entire week. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy how much time you spend trying to prep and speak. And, And especially when you're going to be speaking in front of a group of people, you don't want to give misinformation. And you, like Jay Z said, saying something a little bit wrong can also lead people down the wrong path. And so it's, you know, you have to be very precise and you have to catch all that stuff. And, and it, it takes a lot of time to, to hone that and get it, get the right message out there. And it's funny. It's like most people come away with like only the top, like high level details, but it's, or the high level, uh, you know, kind of topics, uh, less so much, whether you said 11 or 12 in reference to, you know, nodes or something. But uh, if you don't get the details right, you can look like an idiot. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Yeah. All right. So, uh, do they have something? Nope. I thought I heard it. Okay. Uh, last section I had was kind of where it was basically just real quick. Like, if you're interested in giving presentations, meetup.com, you can find meetups in your area. Uh, there's also a website called confs.tech, which redirects to IP, which is kind of funny. Um, but uh, it's it does have a lot of conferences that you can use to kind of find. But, I mean, really, Google's your best friend. So if you want to give a talk, think about what you want to do. It You can Google, like, JS Meetups or JS, if you are interested in doing JavaScript, JS conferences or, you know, whatever more niche you can find uh, stuff all over the place. So really, really uh, if you want to do it, you can find it. Meetup is your best place to start. Yeah, no, no question. It's so f- locality based though. That's why I kind of mentioned Google too, because there's a lot of like online meetups and stuff that are doing things now that uh, weren't doing that before. So it's it's gotten mm. easier to do that. Yeah, that's true. Didn't even think about that. Now that we're in the virtual world, I, I kind of miss the in person world, guys. Yeah, yeah. I when I haven't seen you in like two years in person. So I mean, yeah. I mean, we've we've probably run into each other two or three times in the past year and a half. That's about it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Atlanta code camp going to be the first time. <laughs> That's right. In quite a while. Crazy. That's right. That's crazy. Uh, so a couple uh quick questions <laughs> here at the end is uh, our topic are, is speaking in conferences worth the time you have to put in and the anxiety. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, I wouldn't do it if it, it didn't balance out, but for me, I think it's more, 
that's closer to the to not being worth it than it is for Jan. I don't know, man. It's a lot of work, but I think again, I go back to if you can if you can reuse and build onto your presentation, you'll be way closer to the yes than you will the no. But that initial that initial setup is is a brutal one, and so it's real easy to be closer to the no when you're first putting putting together yeah. one. Well, this is why I, I said that if I were doing conferences, you know, uh, at big conferences. I would lean towards the wanting to learn something as what I would get out of it. And in that case, I would assume then my answer here would have been, Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Because so it depends on what you're trying to get out of it would be what I would assume to be uh, an individual's answer to this question that does give the conferences. Yeah. Or that also maybe you got to figure it out for you. You know, like you got to figure out what you like and what you don't like. Um, so that's uh, just a personal question, something to consider. And uh, one thing I thought was kind of interesting is like, well, what if you decide it isn't? You just hate public speaking or, you know, maybe you live in an area that doesn't have much of this stuff or it's just not much opportunity. What can you do instead? And so uh, just a quick list, like you can always write a blog. If you, can, you can make a video. You can make a project. You can make a code project. You can kind of go out and participate in these communities. You don't have to do any sort of speaking. So I just want to kind of throw it out there. Like it's totally fine to to say no. It's not worth it for you. And uh, I mean, you don't have to do any of these things. You can go out for a bike ride. You, you know, there's uh, all sorts of ways to enjoy your life. And so you know, it just I think it's important to consider whether it's valuable and worth it for you. But uh, by no means is it required. Yep. And hey, you have participating in communities on here and I want to call it out again. I did earlier. You know, if you wanted to get into a conference for free, you can volunteer a great way. If you, if you are somebody that has anxiety about talking to people at, at meetups or conferences or whatever, a great way to break that ice and sort of a natural way is to volunteer to help. And then you automatically are talking to the people involved without trying to feel like you're nudging your way into a conversation, right? Um, because you're there to help and you're there to be a part of it. And and it is a, it's sort of more of a natural way to do it. So you can get a lot out of it in terms of just, you know, the networking that you want to do. And then also, you know, participating in the community. So that that is a really good way that's sort of understated to do that. Yeah. And with all that anxiety, you know, you might, you know, lose a pound or two, which would be great, you know, especially like <laughs> pandemic, uh, you know, pandemic special there. You know, I burned 2000 calories today. Uh, I didn't do it by giving a presentation. I just did it by leaving my fo- food in the oven for too long. But, you know, hey, <laughs> I'm sure if I did give a presentation, I would probably be, you know, so anxious that I wouldn't be able to eat. So, yeah, uh, you know, benefits. Is, Maybe that's what way. you want to get out of it. I don't know. Yeah, it, yeah. For those who don't know, Outlaw is an absolute ball of nerves when it comes to things like that. So. <laughs> uh, I got butterflies right now. What are you talking about? <laughs> and it's so funny. If you see him at Atlanta Code Camp, uh, you know, which will be past by the time you hear this, but you would never think that. Right. Ever. No, because he's, he's a social butterfly until until you like, hey, we need you to do this talk. Huh? What? Yeah. No. no. <laughs> hey, you want to do a podcast? I, I, I can't do that. What? Yeah. Well, let's like, are we the, let's bash Michael section of the show and uh, <laughs> no, we'll, we'll have some resources we like, and uh, you know, with that, we'll head it. Let's, let's, I know I cut Joe Joe off. You had one more, but I we're gonna we're gonna 
Call it quits there. And we're headed to Alan's favorite portion of the show. It's the tip of the week. All right. It looks like I'm going first here. So uh, what I want to mention is a tip I picked up from Mad Viking God when I saw his computer. I was like, what is that in your corner? What is it? Stop the meeting. What is that? And uh, he showed me an app called Next Meeting, which is a free uh, Mac OS app app that keeps a status message up in the top right of your uh, screen so you know when your next meeting is and it'll kind of count down so it'll say like um, you know scrum in 15 minutes 14 minutes 13 minutes and so at any given time i can kind of look up without going to basically look at my calendar in a specific app to see what's coming up next and it's also got other nice things you can click down and it'll show you like your whole day and there's other options um that you can kind of set in there and, and some sometimes you can even click there if it's a virtual conference and like uh, it'll take you into the uh, the app or whatever, so you don't have to kind of interact with the calendar. But I love it because I'm forever like going to, you know, going to make some lunch or something and forgetting to look at my calendar and coming back, you know, minutes later, just constantly having that calendar anxiety where I'm constantly looking at the calendar trying to remember what my next meeting is because I forgot if it's soon or later in the afternoon or getting my days mixed up. So just having it there so I can kind of like, like casually look in the corner has been really nice. You know what's funny, dude? All the people who use Outlook are laughing at you right now. I know. But if you are using G Suite or something like that, this is a must check out. Yeah, and you know, like I'll get the pop-ups and stuff from like calendar apps and everything, but if it shows me a pop-up even in 10 minutes sometimes, I'll kind of close it and forget about it. Or what's worse, it'll be like, I won't think I have a meeting for some reason. I'll be confused. So I'll go and make lunch, come back 33 minutes later, and... Oh, I'm three minutes late for a meeting and I look like I haven't been working all day because I, you know, was heating up some ravioli or whatever. Yep. Yeah. I can't, I can't stand the notifications in G, uh, G suite. Like I, I miss so many of them. Uh, Yeah. I turn them off or in, um, I turn them off on my phone and then, uh, on my computer, I am constantly missing them or shutting them down because I can't stand to have them just sitting there like hovering for 10 minutes or whatever. Yeah. Covering up part of your screen. It drives. Yeah. Oh. Now, the one downside, though, because I haven't tried this, but looking at the screenshots that I've seen of it, though, it looks like like literally whatever the message title is, is what goes into your your um, the, the toolbar at the top of Mac OS, right? Yep. So when I say that as maybe a negative, depending on like your mileage may vary, right? Yeah. <laughs> but if you already have a bunch of stuff in your toolbar, then you might not have room for this thing. Like yeah. I would not. I have way too many icons. What, what do you have my, up there? Uh, I'll send you some screenshots, or I'll show you. Uh, I'll send you some screenshots. But well, number one is when we, and this is one we've talked about for years now is uh, the Django iStats, or okay, is it okay. but Django iStats? iStats menu. Yeah, yeah iStats menu. I love that um, application, and so I have stats up there for like. Uh, what the temperature is f- for the the computer, what the network utilization is, battery utilization, like all, plus with subsequent versions of Mac OS, they keep adding in things that are taking up more space or that I find useful. So like I already have a lot of space taken up just for that, that if when I'm on just the Mac uh, laptop itself, I already depending on what program oh I'm in, it'll like clip and not show me everything because there's too many things already up there. So, I, wow. I, you know, so for normal Mac users, right? <laughs> yes. 
but well, like I said, like, you know, even if you are like a super Mac user, you know, that, that might prove just fine for you. Cause you don't, you know, have an insane number of, uh, things up in the, the toolbar. Um, True. you know, and one that we, I don't know that we've ever talked about, uh, shoot. Now I'll have to find it. Um, okay. I'll, I'll come back to that idea. But, um, so what I had for, uh, I have a couple tips of the week. So one was, I thought, you know, Alan, uh, this one might be a good one for you was <clears throat> in iOS, uh, back in like iOS 13, I believe it was, uh, Apple introduced this ability to preview things. So you could like do force touches or a long, uh, press of something and do a preview of it. So like a link, for example, or an email or whatever it might be, and it'll pop up a little preview thing. And, but the downside to that is if the thing that you want, you are clicking on is a link, maybe in an email that you're not sure about, then, you know, you can't, you can't just see what the URL is because it's going to load it up. And if that, uh, you know, if there's any kind of like tracking pixels or whatnot being sent back and forth, then, okay, boom, they, they might have you then. Right. And that's just on, you know, assuming that everything's on the up and up and that there aren't any, um, you know, zero days that have been taken advantage of or, you know, uh, whatever. So, or, or maybe not even a zero day, uh, bug, but just one that you haven't updated to. So, you know, that, that would be a nightmare situation to, to think of. So, uh, we'll stay happy thought and pretend that that's not it. Um, you can in iOS disable the preview capability if you wanted to for those links. So what you can do is you could go to a known good link and then do the preview of that. And in the top right, there is a uh, little bit of text that says hide preview. And if you tap that, then it'll show you the URL instead and it'll um, maintain that. And then when you, if you wanted to re-enable previews, you could, uh, the text would change to show previews. So, you know, um, there you go, Alan. I thought you might, you might appreciate that one. That was, yeah. that was just for you. Did that one burn you? That, that one hurt. No, I mean, what he's talking about is we got a phishing email that was a purposeful phishing email. And I knew it was a phishing email. But on my iOS device, I did a long click on it to see what the URL was because I was just curious. And it popped up the preview. And they were like, hey, moron, you're not supposed to click that kind of link. And I was like, I didn't click it. So, yeah, not I real happy about that. I click it when I clicked it. I tapped yeah, it. I I, I, I long tapped it because I didn't want to see it. I wanted to see the URL, but you wouldn't show me the URL. So yeah, whatever, man. I hate iOS sometimes. Yeah. So uh, there's that. And then um, related to, uh, you know, last time, Jay-Z, you gave away some music-related, several music-related uh, tips of the week. So I want to introduce you to your new favorite YouTube channel. Uh, if you haven't already discovered this and I wouldn't be surprised if you said like, oh, I already knew about that because this guy has over two and a half million subscribers. So chances are you have heard of him, but his name is Rick Beato. Uh, you can find him on YouTube. I'll share a link to him, but I have watched this guy's videos for so long now and it just uh, so many of them, but like he'll have great uh, 
you know, music related videos that'll be like the 20 greatest acoustic intros of all time or, uh, the, you know, or the electric, uh, ones or, or sometimes he'll dig into a particular song. And so he has this whole series of what, like what makes this song so great. And these songs will be all over the map. Like it'll go from Boston to tool to Steely Dan to Van Halen to Nirvana to Led Zeppelin. Like there's, you know, all over the place. And you'll think like, okay, well, Michael, I've probably seen like a thousand you know, types of videos like this. Like what makes this one so special? The thing is though, is like this guy is actually like in the know, like he's in the business. He's the real deal, right? This guy was an actual music or, well, I hate, that came out kind of wrong. He's an actual musician, touring mu- musician was successful with as, as a musician in the band and did a lot of work you know, on the producing and mixing and that kind of production side of the house and people that he was working with are saying like, Oh man, you should start a YouTube channel. And he knowing nothing about it started a YouTube channel going into the things about like what, uh, you know, about the technical aspects of, of songs and whatnot. And so when he's putting together these lists, he's coming at it from, you know, different points of view, or he might have like, you know, what are the, the 20 greatest or the 10 greatest drop D songs or, you know, something like that. Like he'll get, he'll get specific about it. And, uh, often a lot of the music that he'll pl- that you hear in it, you'll actually watch and hear him playing it. And he'll say like, this is why this is, this song is so great. And then you'll, you'll hear him play. So he really knows his stuff super well. And like, when you see his studio in the background, you will be in awe of, you know, what he's doing. And by the way, shout out to our local boy. Cause he's an Atlanta guy. Oh, cool. So I have not heard of this guy. I will go check him. Well, out. you will, and you will be in love. And I promise. That's excellent. All right. So I've got two after having a, um, a lack of any last time. I think I only had one little one, but so I learned this one from Mad Viking God also. He had put together a script, and I saw the script, and I was like, what is this mess that he's got here? So if you see a dollar sign question mark in Linux, did either of you guys know this? Did you know this, Outlaw? You did? Jay-Z didn't. Okay, good. I bet I know the script that you saw it in because I was working on it with him. Oh, okay. All right. So maybe you knew it because of that. So, um, So if you see a dollar question mark in a Linux shell script or in a bash script, we'll say, um, Basically, what that's doing is that saying, hey, give me the result of the last run command that ran in the foreground, in the foreground pipeline. So what what I was doing is I was trying to get the result of a Docker run command because I wanted to do a build of a Java application in a Docker container, and I wanted to get the result of that thing. Well, the way you can do it is on the next line, you can set a variable that says, hey, status equal and then dollar question mark. And then that'll tell you, hey, did that give you a zero return code? If it did, everything was good. If it was not zero, then you know something went wrong in it. So that is a great way to be able to handle that. And it'll work for, I believe, just about anything in a bash script or a shell script for the previous run command in the foreground, right? Like if something off running, in a background thread, I don't know what happens there, but specifically for foreground. So that's really cool. It, it allows you to do some some automated things in a nice way. Um, 
And and just so you know, Jay Z had mentioned scaffold earlier. I was actually doing it in a custom build script in scaffold so that I could see multiple steps and make sure that at the end of it, if everything succeeded, then publish the image. <clears throat> so that's that. Now the next thing that I ran into while I was trying to do this presentation is did you guys know that homebrew can be installed on Linux? No? No? Nope. Amazing. So I was looking to install canines. The, the way I went about this, because I love canines now, because Jay-Z turned me on to this, yes. is I went to install canines so that I could do some things easily and see some things easily on my local Kubernetes and WSL2 on Windows. And canines like, okay, well, here's the brew thing. And I'm like, oh, man, really? I'm not on a Mac. I can't do this. And sure enough, you can. Now, granted, they have to have the brew uh, formula or whatever available for your platform, but you install it just like you would on Mac or anything else. Put that thing on Linux and you can brew install just the same exact way that you do on Mac. So absolutely fantastic. Highly recommend it. If you're on Linux, if you live in a Mac world and you're doing things on Linux and you want to be, be able to do it in a similar way, I was able to brew install canines. I was able to brew install Minikube, um, several other things. So definitely worth checking out. I got one more for you. <clears throat> so Bring that it. that tool that I was talking about for the macOS that I said I would find while you were giving your tip. I don't know that we've talked about this one before, but it's called Hot. So this is one of the many uh, I use hot. things that I have up in that uh, toolbar in Mac OS. So what this does is the beauty of this one is that, you know, like iStat menus, for example, can give you the temperature of, uh, all the various touch points in the, in the, inside your Mac. And in fact, it's actually quite impressive just how many different temperatures, t- uh, sensors there are within the Mac. And like with, um, iStat menus, you can see all of them, but the, thing that hot provides in addition to being able to see the temperature is it'll show you what your uh, CPU speed limit has been throttled to based on thermal issues. So the Mac, when, when you remember when the I nines first came out for the Mac, there were a lot of complaints about people not being able to take full advantage of the I nine because it would heat up and, perform perform worse than their i sevens were performing at the time. And, uh, you know, that's just an example of, you know, the Mac throttling down the CPU capabilities because of the heat. And you can actually see that with this, uh, this utility. So I'll have a link to that as well. Um, there's both a GitHub and a, uh, company page for it that I'll have. Did you see the difference on Apple Silicon? They said, along with the CPU temperature, hot will display the system's thermal pressure. What in the world is that? Yeah, that's pretty cool. Thermal pressure pressure. is nominal. (laughs) Okay. Oh. (laughs) What does that even mean? All right. I have to do some research now. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) how's that for an answer we should probably get some some of those new laptops and see yeah let's do that let's just do that that. 
Yeah. Apple has a fall, another event coming up pretty soon where they're going to, they're supposed to, the rumors are that they're going to be giving out, um, or not giving out, but you know, re- give, giving the specs of the, what they're going to be releasing soon. Yeah. Yeah. You yep. know, related to the Mac laptop. So yeah, it's going to be fun. We'll see what happens. Uh, otherwise we hope you've enjoyed the show. Uh, oh yeah, I'm sorry, dear listener. Uh, yeah. And so we hope you've enjoyed this episode of coding blocks. Uh, we hope you enjoyed all the episodes of coding blocks and you would find it in your heart to subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. And be sure to find some, uh, you can find some helpful links to leave us a review. If you haven't already, we would greatly appreciate it at www.codingblocks.net slash review. And while you're up there at codingblocks.net, <laughs> check out all our show notes, examples, discussions, and more, and send your feedback, questions, and rants to our Slack channel. Snap it to the Slack channel! <laughs> I'm thinking I'm thinking how to do this. I don't know. <laughs> you got to top it. You got to top it. What are you going to do? Bring it. Be sure to follow us on Twitter. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. That's all I got. Codingblocks. I don't even know what I was channeling there. Uh, you're like evangelizing uh, coding blocks. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's something like that. I don't know. <laughs> but we are on Twitter. Uh, like, who's, who's voice am I doing here? Is that like, I don't know, man. Alan's got me. Alan's. You're doing Alan's. Hey. Yeah, I think hey. It's, um, you know, it's Abraham Lincoln. totally that was my next guess yeah yeah i've got a i've got a bunch of cds can you talk about a cherry tree (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I can't i don't know whose voice i'm doing Uh, anyway i'm doing it poorly but uh, if you go to recodebox.net you can find all the social links at the top of the page